0: Hmm. Oh, good God, not the pig thing again. (laughs) God, that's creepy as hell. It really is. I do have to advance.
1: Back to the bin.
0: See, I was feeling bad until you said that, and now I don't feel bad anymore.
1: (laughs) That's why we have Bill around.
0: (laughs) It's like, am I crossing the line
2: here? No, I Uh, I cross that line, and I keep going. That line is
1: so far in Bill's rearview mirror, he can't even see it anymore.
2: That's why I'm squinting like Clint Eastwood. Is that a line back there? So,
1: anyway, we should actually talk about some comics.
2: Probably
0: be a good idea.
1: Comic schmommets. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined by my ever-present cohort, Dr. Bill Robinson.
2: Was it a five-issue miniseries, or was it a six-issue miniseries? Not really sure. All the confusion.
1: And we are joined by our buddy, Mike Bailey.
0: Now, am I talking to Paul Spitaro or Paul Spataco?
1: <laughs> they are one and the same. Okay. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) You know, that was was in the era, for anybody who who does not follow us on Facebook, uh, Mike posted a letter page from Hulk number 200, uh, which had a letter of mine published back in, what is that, around 1975,
0: I guess? Yeah, somewhere around there.
1: Uh, That was in an era where I was, each week I'd pick up my comics and I would write two or three letters in, just in hopes of of hitting the uh, apex of fame of having a letter printed. And honestly, the one that they did decide to print, I thought was one of the more inane letters that I had sent, but they did print it. Uh, I guess my handwriting was not quite good enough and they thought the R at the end of my name was a C. But I I actually have uh, one of my friends that I work with who is a comic fan and he's a good friend. He came in uh, with a he scanned the cover and the letters page and then put them in a frame together and gave it to me. So I have that in my office at work. Nice. So this way I can show my embarrassment to everyone who comes into my office. In, in
0: 1998, I uh, I finally got on the internet and started emailing. Uh, using the, Instead of writing a letter and mailing it, I would email comics. And I'll never forget the first time I had a letter published. I felt like John Candy in Splash.
2: <laughs> I was just like, they published my letter! It's called The Lesbian No More.
1: <laughs> it's a beautiful
2: story. Are you, are you never mind i was gonna say but, was it like more like steve martin in the jerk you know the yeah. phone book is here the phone book is here I, I'm a they published person. a letter <laughs> things are gonna start happening to me now mm at um, wall starts shooting at you on the, on the hill <laughs> mm at no uh and
0: and then pretty much off and on for the next couple of years uh i had about 10 or 15 letters published total but it was uh it was just really strange getting to that point where I'm just guessing that nobody was writing in uh, to the titles that I was uh, that I was writing into. So that that was my basic assumption, my Eeyore assumption about what was going on.
1: <laughs> you know what? I I I was always under the impression because you did see the same names over and over again if you read the letter pages regularly, mm-hmm. and I was always of the impression that uh, there were certain writers that became favorites of whoever it was that was picking you know, which letters would be printed. And it wasn't up for a lack of letters, but for whatever reason, you might have, might, may have just uh, caught the fancy of uh, of whoever was reading for those books. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Much oh, like yeah, how back at, we pick our email out?
0: Yeah, well, back in the 80s, you had, like, Brown and Dale Coe and TM Maple. Uh, a couple people, like two people, actually, a man and a woman met through the Superman's letter page to this day. So, <laughs> I... I didn't have that happen, uh, obviously, because well, Rachel doesn't really read comics. She used to read fables, but has just lost interest in the last couple of years. So.
1: Yeah, well, the fact, you know, my uh, my perspective on it is as long as I'm with someone who tolerates my comics addiction, she yeah. does. She doesn't necessarily have to join in the club.
0: Oh yeah, I I I. I... When I was in high school, I tried to push comics on one of my girlfriends. It went horribly, so I never did it again. I, I, I just needed an enabler. I didn't need uh, somebody to, 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 uh, to join in the addiction with me.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, and that, that works for, fine for me. But uh, I, forget, I forgot where I was going go to go. Oh, now I remember. I was going to change the subject because yesterday was free comic book day. We already know that, unfortunately, Bill wasn't able to uh, to do it, and I was wondering uh, if, if you managed to hit free comic book day at all.
0: Uh, yeah, I did. I uh, I had asked, actually, for the first and the second off uh, because I wanted to see Avengers on... Well, I, won't, I can't call it opening day anymore because they started showing it at, like, 7 o'clock on Thursday.
1: Yeah, but they the pretend that it didn't open then.
2: Plus the but, UK uh, had
0: it. Yeah, plus the UK had it by about a week. But uh, I also wanted to hit Free Comic Book Day, and I, I finally managed to get up there, finishing off uh, Avengers Spotlight, uh, talking about Ultron. By the way, uh, plugging you within your own show
3: uh, <laughs> seems, thank kind you of, for that.
0: seems kind of counterproductive, but whatever. Uh, I did not grab too many books. I grabbed the Divergence book uh, just to just to get pissed off about Superman again, and. Oh. Uh, I picked up the Teen Titans Go free one for my wife because she really likes the cartoon. And I figured she might like that. And I got the... Uh, I am actually going to be following Secret Wars holds over the next, like, eight months or so. So I picked that one up, too. But what I also got uh, for about three bucks a piece was ten issues of the Hulk magazine from the 70s. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I've been leafing through those. And there's some really good artwork in here. Uh, and I'm looking
1: forward to reading the stories, too. It's with Belit who mm-hmm. his uh his is through those issues. I, I was, I, I was I picking up. I still have a. I still have some of those. I I was picking them those up as they were coming out.
0: I did not get the one where Bruce Banner was almost assaulted at the Y. Uh, so which is a, a kind of an infamous story from that run, uh, which which does not turn
2: out the way you think it's going to turn out. So please, please, you're making me have a flashback to the pool thing I had to do. <laughs>
1: We all love your pool story, Bill. Yeah, I w- but it was, I w-
0: Go ahead. But it was fun. I ran into some people I haven't seen in a couple of years, and I, I looked around the comic shop. It was it was pretty busy. I, though I, I did ask the guy behind the counter, uh, I go, so you've been busy? To, uh, so has it been busy today? He goes, it's free comic book day. I go, so how uh, are sales? It's free comic book day. <laughs> so I'm guessing a lot of people are coming in, getting free stuff, and just immediately leaving.
1: Yeah, that's wrong.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
1: I went went to the local store over here, uh, Best Comics it's called, and uh, my buddy and his daughter went and I went with my son. And, uh, you know, we we each took a couple of the free books, but then, you know, I had to pick out something to buy and I told my son to pick out something to buy. He picked the uh, uh, Frank Miller Daredevil trade uh, because he's been, you know, we've been watching the Netflix stuff, so he's got a, a new interest in Daredevil. And uh, I, I managed to feed a little bit of my Marvel Treasury Edition, uh, Jones. I got the, uh, the Howard the Duck Treasury Edition with, uh, with the Defenders. Nice. And I got uh, Rampaging Hulk, which is, uh, it, it prints stories of Hulk versus Doctor Doom from, I guess, the very late 60s or early 70s. So I was, I was happy with those. Between the two of them, with, with with the free comic book day discount, worked out to twenty bucks. And they're both oh in, nice. They're both in good shape. No, um, if you, you can know, get,
0: if you can get one of those for like ten, you know, like fifteen, twenty bucks, you're doing okay. But if you got them for like ten apiece, that's great.
1: Well, one was one was twenty five dollars, fifty percent off, so it was twelve fifty. And the other was fifteen dollars, fifty percent off, so it was seven fifty. So it was twenty bucks for the pair. <clears throat>
0: Yeah, the, my shop, in the same thing, in the same box that had the Hulk magazines in it, he, it had a bunch of issues of Warrior from the UK, and it was really interesting seeing Miracle Man in his original Marvel Man form, uh, and then having that written across the cover, which is, you know, because when Eclipse started reprinting that stuff, they obviously couldn't call it Marvel Man. But, uh, but my shop's like that. It's, it, it's really... He gets people will come in and just dump their collections on him and so every once in a while like the like the the most awesome but weird stuff will just be out and, you know and available for purchase like one day I walked in and I, I just didn't have the money otherwise I would have picked them all up somebody brought in the entire collection of the oh hot mu the official Marvel handbook tripperbacks. Mm-hmm. And, and usually you only see like one or two of those if you see them at all but the entire set was there and I just 10 bucks a piece on them and I really didn't have like 70 80 drop on on books at the time and missed my window on that but you know like trading cards treasury editions action figures I mean it's a I really never know what's going to be there when I go there from from you know every two weeks or so cuz of the stuff that he, he he brings in on a consistent basis
1: I guess from a sales point of view that's a real positive cuz it keeps people coming in cuz they don't know what to expect.
0: Mhm. And 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 for him it's uh you know he he doesn't spend a whole lot on the the actual collections so he can sell them at a lower price and still get and still turn a pretty good profit. I mean right now he's he's got a box full of amazing Spider-Mans uh, starting around the 150s for 3 bucks a piece. Wow. Uh, which for those, you know, I'm not collecting those, but if I was, I'd be snapped because that's really one of those books, considering how, man, stuff in the 80s right now is going insane as far as back issue prices. And I guess, you know, it's hitting that 30-year mark, but still, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's 30 years, but
1: what can I tell you? (laughs) This is what happens when you get old.
0: (laughs) That was depressing, thank you. (laughs) Uh,
1: Just, you know... What I always say is, you know, at, at 52 years old now, uh, if you go to the point when you first start having active memories, you're like two, three, four years old, somewhere around there. From that point until I turned 18, took forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That just, that period of my life just, you know, it was, that was when the summers went on forever. Everything was great. Then from 18 to 52, has taken about 10 minutes. It just I'll goes so that. fast now.
0: I uh, I was I was thinking the other day that it's been 10 years since the lead up to Infinite Crisis
1: and it literally feels
0: like last year.
1: And it, it's the things it's the things in your life that give you perspective when you can think about oh this is when I graduated college. This is when I got married. This is when I mm-hmm. had a kid. Those are the things that give you perspective that you're like, wow, that was that long ago already?
2: I'm 25 for a moment.
1: I- <laughs> Sorry. I, 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 if, I if, couldn't, you're, if you're going you know, to do that, why don't you sing uh, It Was a Very Good Year by Sinatra? <laughs> it was a
2: very good year. <laughs> but you, you got to love his uh, singing undercut that, that song that. about getting
1: laid and stuff. It was a very good year. So anyway, uh, maybe it's time to do some comic
2: book talking, uh, some, some comic book talking back to the bin style. Before they come and tell us that it's nighttime and it's time to take our medicine. <laughs> Somebody says here it's time to take my bath. I, I I don't
0: think he works here, but you know I'm gonna go anyways.
1: Before Nurse Ratchet comes in and makes me turn the baseball game off.
0: <laughs> Who wants to go first? Well,
1: that would be uh, well. Format wise, it's you.
0: Oh, okay. Very good. Let's, uh, well, I, I had a hard time choosing a book because at first I, 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 because of Avengers coming out, I was, I I thought about picking out an Avengers book. Then I'm like, no, this isn't Avengers spotlight. It's just back to the bins. Uh, and then I settled on Captain America as a character and picked out an issue that, that was from the middle of the, uh, the captain storyline where Steve Rogers quits and John Walker becomes the captain, uh, or and Steve Rogers becomes the captain because it kind of tied into the siege storyline that you guys covered on Avengers, uh, Avengers Spotlight. Because uh, it was basically <laughs> the main reason I chose it is it's Captain America beating the living piss out of Hyde. I mean, for like two solid pages, just dismantling him, and then basically saying you you know you tortured a, a helpless old man, and that was just basically his get back. Uh, but at some point, I'd really like to cover that whole storyline. So I went to Acts of Vengeance, uh, because one of my favorite chapters of Acts of Vengeance came in Captain America number 367.
2: It uh, has this beautiful cover. That's John Byrne on the cover, right? Well, not on uh, the cover, but did, did, he, did he draw this cover? I believe he did. I, I don't see his signature, but it just
1: looks... It burnish. looks very Burnish. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was looking for a signature, and I couldn't find one, but it sure looks like Byrne.
0: But uh, it, it's this beautiful cover of Magneto standing on top of the Red Skull, and I, I you know, I'm not the biggest Marvel guy, though I'm I'm learning uh, now that I'm really pissed about at DC for the moment uh, because of certain decisions they have made uh, both behind the scenes and in the comics themselves. But uh, one of my favorite Marvel crossovers is Acts of Vengeance, mainly because I think it's it was one of those things that you didn't have to read all of the the crossover issues, like you know, to follow the story. You didn't have to read these three issues of Captain America, but if you read the whole thing, it's just it's it's a fun time. But if you're just reading the Avengers books, you can just keep up with what's going on. But the idea that essentially it's just like we're all going to trade villains, uh, and, and and that's and that's what we're doing for this is just a great idea because Marvel. I think you guys talked about this at one point that you know dc has a has a propriety when it comes to their villains you know you know the flash villains very rarely fight batman mm-hmm. and batman's villains very rarely fight green lantern but in the marvel universe it seems like you can uh, it, it can go like you know you know any you know dr doom especially can is not confined to just you know fighting the fantastic four he can take on anybody and he seems to have his own private battles, like with Iron Man and with Doctor Strange and all that. So the idea of trading villains wasn't, like, out of the realm of possibility. But some of the choices they made were just really interesting. I chose this book because, as I said, it's my favorite. Uh, it was written, the story, well, it's got two stories in it, really. Uh, the, the first one is Magnetic Repulsion, uh, which was written by Mark Gruenwald, penciled by Kieran. I never know how to pronounce this. Kieran Dwyer. Kieran which,
2: Dwyer. He was the cover artist, and remember he's uh, was John Byrne's stepson.
1: Mm-hmm. Which uh,
2: so it, I remember that, we,
1: we had a discussion about him once, and we looked up some of his stuff, and it looked like it was heavily influenced by Byrne. Is it possible he did this cover? Uh,
2: he did. No,
0: looking at the... Well,
2: I mean, uh, I looked up on the Marvel Wiki, and they say that Kieran that Dwyer did the, did yeah, the pencils, he, and he did the cover.
0: Yeah, if... if uh, the the copyright signature, and he has kind of a definitive signature, uh, is on the far left side of the cover, which... Man, just Magneto it just looks so evil on this cover. You don't see his face, you just see his eyes and his smile as he's got his boot on the Red Skull's head. <laughs> on the Red Skull's head. Uh, inked by Danny Blandi, lettered by Jack Morelli, colored by Steve Buccioletto. This was edited by insert Karate Kid joke here, Ralph Macchio. Uh, (laughs) The cover states, Cap's greatest foe, the Red Skull, defeated by Magneto... And we open on Namor the Submariner freaking the freak out as Cap calls out his name. And Hank Pym, well, I guess it's Hank Pym. In all honesty, it kind of <laughs> looks like a slightly less evolved Hank Pym. Anyways, Hank Pym falls to the ground. Uh, one of the texts thinks about how Hank was able to get the controlling doohickey off of Namor. And slowly the Submariner gets a hold of himself just in time for us to learn that, the Namor, was, that Namor was controlled by the aptly named controller in the previous issue. And Hank figured out a way to free him. Namor tells Cap and Hank that he was approached by Samuel L. Jackson to join the Avenger- Wait, wait, no. Actually, he was approached by someone that mistook him for a villain and offered him a chance to join a whole bunch of bad guys. Namor wants to track this guy down, but first, where is he and where is the exit? Meanwhile, at the Smith Building in Washington, D.C., Crossbones is told he better not get go into the Red Skull's office because the the Skull has his iron cross in a knot. Inside the office the Red Skull muses about how things with this whole bunch of villains teaming up and trading heroes thing isn't going to his liking. He runs through the, his comrades who include Doctor Doom, the Wizard, the Kingpin, the Mandarin, Magneto, and worst of all the guy that put this particular supergroup together who refuses to divulge his true identity. <laughs> Suddenly, I <laughs> my throat. Suddenly a crack forms in one of the walls and that crack turns into the wall exploding as Magneto, Master of Magnetism, bursts in and says he wants to have a word with the skull. As Cap speeds to Washington to follow up on the lead Neymar gave him, Magneto takes down the skull's defensive defenses and asks him if he is the same Red Skull from World War II. The skull secretly summons his guards as he admits to being the skull, although he is on his second body. Magneto reveals that he and his family suffered a great deal at the hands of the Nazis, and even though the Skull did not run one of the camps, he willingly served the regime that was responsible for him. The Skull explains that he and Magneto are a lot alike, which is really what you want to say to somebody who hates Nazis. And even suggests that Magneto would like to see his lessers rounded up and dealt with, which is not something you want to, see to say to somebody who was in a concentration camp. He offers his hand in friendship. Magneto moves in for the kill, but is momentarily stymied by the skull's dust of death. Magneto manages to survive thanks to his force field. Did someone say force field? Because the skull has one too, and he traps Magneto inside. With a full on Sea Kyle salute, the skull escapes. Magneto breaks free of the force field and is ambushed by the controller, but boy does that go badly for the controller. Cap reaches the Smith building and immediately engages the controller. Magneto chases the Skull, who attacks via a plasma-shooting robot. The Skull continues his escape, thinking he's going to find the person responsible for leaking the location of his headquarters and make them pay. Meanwhile, Crossbones watches Cap's fight with the controller via a closed-circuit camera and decides that facing off against Cap without the Skull's permission would be a bad idea, so he books it out of there. Cap and the controller continue to fight with the controller nearly falling out of a window. The fight ends when Cap finally manages to slap the control disc the controller had used on Namor onto the controller's forehead and shorts out the villain's power. With that out of the way, Cap continues his search for the Red Skull. Elsewhere, Magneto makes short work of the Skull's giant plasma-spewing robot, and he continues his search for the villain. He finds a private subway station, which is odd. Not as odd as the army of Red Skulls that surround him with weapons at the ready. One of the Skulls informs Magneto that he won't be able to guess which one is the real Skull before their combined blasts kill him. Magneto smiles and says he already knows, and destroys all of the robots in one magnetic swoop. He continues down the tracks and uses his power to te- tear-, tear them up, which causes the Skull's private subway car to crash. Meanwhile, Namor radios in that he has returned to the place where the mystery bad guy made his offer and found that the doorway was closed. Cap follows the path of destruction, and after momentarily stopping to check out the destroyed skull box, he finds the remains of a subway car. Some blood, but no body. He wonders went on one there. Who fought the Skull? Where is the Skull? Who is he with? What is he thinking? Is he thinking of cat? Is he thinking of Cap and whether he'll return someday? Elsewhere, sometime later, the Skull waves wakes up with a flashlight in his face. Magneto tells the Skull that he should have killed him and be done with it. That would have made Magneto a common killer and no better than the Skull but he is better than him. He explains that he has placed the skull in an old fallout shelter. Magneto has removed the ladder leading to the surface and given him 10 gallons of water, which will last his period of confinement. Magneto has stripped the room bare and removed any homing transmitters that the skull had on him. No one on earth knows where the skull is except for Magneto. He'll be trapped down there. No food, no, no light, no companionship. Nothing except water and air. Magneto wants him to sit down there and think of the horrors he has committed. He wants the skull to suffer and wish that Magneto had killed him. Magneto rises through the escape hatch, takes his leave of the skull, closing the hatch behind him and placing the skull. And uh, there's a second story uh, that really doesn't have to do with anything involving this story. Uh, it's a it's, uh the way of the snake with some uh, mark bagley artwork actually but uh i just really wanted to mainly focus on this main story because i i love the idea that mark Gruenwald sat down and said you know i'm having all these villains team up you know who the red skull would seriously hate he didn't... <laughs> or who magneto would hate the red skull why because the red skull's a nazi just just a great concept what a I love it when villains fight, anyways. But this one has such that personal touch to it,
1: and it just makes so much sense too. Yeah, it's it's it, it's almost like, oh, why didn't we think of that before?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, and and it's just great because the skull thinks the entire through the entire issue, the skull thinks he's got Magneto right where he wants him, and that last page where he's got him in that fallout shelter, and the book literally or the story literally fades to black. I mean, you know, and he and the skull's down there for a really long time. Uh, it's like a. It's like ten or so issues later that the uh, Crossbones finally finds him. But just just the idea of dropping him in the middle of nowhere and with just you no know, no food, no no lights, no motor cars, not a single luxury. You
1: would think he'd just make a phone out of a, a coconut and coal, Crossbones?
0: <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's just for a story in Captain America. America. It, it just, I think it made perfect use of a crossover. You know, too many times when a book has to be part of a crossover, it's not all that good, or it feels like you're interrupting the flow. And with how Gruenwald had been keeping the skull around in the background this entire time uh, through the course of his run, uh, I, I just think he, he just made the, the best use of him that he can. And the artwork is really good. Uh, Dwyer's a little funny on faces. Like, you know, I kind of poked fun at. You know Hank Pym on that first page, who looks kind of like he looks. It looks like we dug up some art from Planet of the Apes, uh, <laughs> th- that comic. But you know Cap looks great. Which is so George
1: pretty- Tusker art you're talking about?
0: <laughs> but Cap looks great. Uh, Namor looks great. Magneto and and the Red Skull look pretty good. And the action just is is fantastic throughout the entire book. I just I just love this story so much. I really do. It just it just it hits me. Everywhere I want to be hit as a reader, it does. It engages me, you know, at, on a character level, but the action, especially when Captain America is fighting the controller, uh, is just really dynamic. I think Dwyer had a really good handle on Captain America in particular. Uh, I, I'm hit and miss with Gruenwald's run on Cap. I've read the whole thing, so I, uh, you know, I... I think that sometimes he was firing on all cylinders and sometimes it was Cap Wolf, uh, <laughs> which I don't know. It, was that as bad as I remember it? I'll have to go reread that at some point. But
1: uh, I'm familiar with those issues, but I can honestly say I've never read them.
0: But, you know, the, the whole Captain storyline and, every, you know, basically from, from like 333 to 400 was a pretty solid run of the title. Because you had you had the acts of vengeance stories, you had uh, the
1: Bloodstone. What was that called? Wasn't it called exactly that? Wasn't it like the Bloodstone Matrix or something like that? Or the
0: Bloodstone Agenda. And then you had uh, the the okay. There were silly two issues where Cap turns into a teenager, uh, which wasn't all that good. But Streets of Poison, which may have had a flawed premise, but I thought you know with the Ron and when Ron Lim came on the and did the artwork. And U.S. agent was part of the book for a little bit there. I think it's it's some of the some of the stronger parts of his run with the character. Uh, and I just this reading this story one reminds me why I liked Gruenwald's run so much, and two reminds me why I like Captain America so much, uh, just as a character. I just uh, the the uh, snake story that followed it. Uh, you know? i have I haven't read these stories in a long time so it was I really couldn't remember it but the, the Bagley art's not all that bad
1: yeah i uh, the, the snake story was you know kind of an inter- interesting filler um i i really I, I, I'm, I'm happy you picked this issue I like this issue a lot um I think the cover is awesome I think this is this is what I would call an iconic cover mm-hmm it, this is this is almost as good as you get I love that you can't see Magneto's face. All you see is his eyes and his teeth shining out from underneath his helmet. And uh, he's pretty much stepping on Red Skull's head. Yes. So, I mean, it, it, you, you couldn't have a much more dominant position than that. And it's just the the yellow background really makes it pop. It, it's just a beautiful cover. And uh, if it's Kieran Dwyer, I mean, boy, did he ever do a great job of looking like his uh, stepfather.
0: Yeah, he... Uh... He had a really John Byrne look to him, just in, especially in the build of the characters. Uh, not so much in the faces, but uh, uh, just uh, in, in how the characters move and the page layouts are very Byrne. It,
1: it almost looks like maybe he drew it and Byrne inked it for him or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's so Byrne like that, it, it's it's hard to believe that it's not him. Yeah. The interior art is not nearly as burn-like. It's it's Most of it's really good. The first two pages I'm not too crazy about, and it's mainly the Submariner that I'm not happy with. Um, the, the, shot, the shot that you made fun of with Hank Pym's face, that almost looks to me like, uh, you know, you ever take a picture of, like a candid shot of somebody and you get them when they just have like a silly look on the face and it's almost like you, believe, yeah, you almost can't believe that that's really the person who you took a picture of?
0: Namor uh, looks like Joe Pesci on this first page.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's kind of. Uh, the, the first two pages, like I said, I'm not that crazy about it. After that, it really seems to come up a, a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. the, and the faces, is like the Red Skull's face is awesome on page uh-huh. three. Crossbone's face looks really good. Uh, the shot of Magneto bursting in on him, and it, you know, it's excellent. And even the build up to it where the wall starts cracking, you know, really good stuff. Uh, some of the storytelling or pacing choices, I think I might have done a little differently. Uh, but for the most part, it's really, really solid. Uh, and, and the, the, the last shots of him in the, in the bunker are kind of chilling in the way that they look. And I think my favorite shot of the whole issue is, uh, when Magneto was surrounded by the Red Skull robots. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: It's just, it's just great. They're all wearing the same suit. They're all carrying guns. And it turns out none of them are the Red Skull.
0: It's kind of like uh, Neo surrounded by the Agent Smiths in uh, the Matrix sequel,
1: where they're all coming out after him. So mm. just and and you know you, you hardly really. I mean, there, there is the fight with Cap and the Controller, but this is really not a Captain America issue at all.
0: No, he's he's pretty much playing catch up the entire time, uh, which is which is okay because again, the way Gruenwald paced his stories, you could have issues like this where it, Cap is not the main focus, even though it's his book. I mean, and that's that's pretty much kind of through the history of Cap as a character. One of my favorite issues is 298, which is the origin of the Red Skull. And Cap's, you know, Cap's an old man in that because of what the Red Skull did to him. But it wasn't, you know, it, it didn't really have anything to do with Captain America. It was all about his enemy. Uh, right. And and Gruenwald developed some really good villains. I have always been a fan of Crossbones as a character. I just think, you know, if you're going to have a, a a cap villain that is just kind of the intelligent bruiser, I think you can't do much worse uh, than him. It was a little disappointing in, in in Winter Soldier to never see the guy that was Crossbones ask. But,
1: you know. I, I, hope, was, I thought the, he was fine in Winter Soldier for the role he played in that movie, but I really never saw him as Crossbones.
0: Yeah, I mean, somebody had, basically had to kind of tell me that's who it was. Uh, simply because and, and he doesn't even really fight well he fights cap in the elevator but cap owns everybody in that freaking elevator so yeah <laughs> one of my favorite scenes from that entire film but, but basically he's a he's a he's a villain for falcon to fight essentially mm-hmm. at the end and a uh, uh, good fight but still i i was really kind of looking forward to seeing <laughs> chris evans fight a dude in a skull mask and, and and
1: and I would want him to be more of a bruiser, though. I would want mm-hmm. him to be, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't physically as big as Chris Evans is.
0: No, he wasn't, not at all.
1: And Crossbones should be significantly bigger than Cap.
0: Well, maybe yeah, I'll make him
1: bigger in the future.
0: He's kind of a Bane type character, almost.
1: In appearance, yeah, I would uh,
0: agree. So, uh, but no, this this was just a great era. I, I would totally recommend this to anybody who just. You, you can find these in the the fifty cent quarter bins quite a bit uh, for whatever reason, uh, especially the Acts of Vengeance issues. Uh, and I would and I heartily recommend them.
2: Yeah, and these the, are some of the cap issues I do actually have. Sorry, I had to step away. The dog cornered something behind the shed again. I had to go get him. That's where I've been. Sorry. <laughs> they. Uh, I forgot. Where, I forgot where we're going now. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: That's okay. Why don't Why don't you uh, give your thoughts on this? Because. We, 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 Mike and I were discussing our thoughts while you were taking care of the dog, so you haven't had a chance to say what you think of this
2: book. I love that the Red Skull has uh, skull cufflinks. Or <laughs> did you see the buttons on his suit, page oh. three?
0: Yes, you're absolutely right, and you can see him again on page nine. His his uh, the the buttons on his
2: uh, on his, his sport uh, coat are skulls. It's also on on the front cover. They're and they're red on the front cover.
0: Yes, they are. Oh, wow.
2: It's like little Punisher symbols. (laughs) I didn't Um, notice that at all. And I like how, um, page 8, all the Red Skull's goons look like Duke Nukem. (laughs) (laughs) They do, don't they? (laughs) They all have sunglasses, big guns, and blonde hair. Well, he would hire Aryans. Well, of course, yeah. But but still, they all just kind of look like Duke Nukem. You can just... Plus, considering this is this is the well, when did this book come out? This is the '90s, isn't it? '90, yeah. So uh, was Duke Nukem out by now? Maybe. I uh, I think it's a swords. couple of
0: years after this.
2: Oh wow, this this book was ahead, way ahead of the curve. Yeah, this has always been such a good story that, you, like like you guys are saying, how you know, the villains don't always uh, in Marvel. You know that it would make sense that these guys would not get along, and for also for. For Doctor Doom and the Red Skull to not get along, being his parents were gypsies. Mm, that's true. So but, uh, yeah, I'm sorry I missed out on the conversation.
1: Well when you when you think about it from that perspective, there's really very few people who the Red Skull should get along with.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, specifically with with Magneto, is that yes, Magneto's family was decimated by the Nazis and he was in a concentration camp. But really You know, when you think about it, what Magneto wants to do isn't too far removed from what the Nazis wanted to do. Now, Magneto will justify it because it'll say it's self-defense because the humans want to kill the mutants anyways. But still, he is for mutant superiority Mm -hmm. and is is essentially a terrorist. But Well, they also
2: make a nice... uh, The Skull makes a nice callback when he brings up to Magneto that he sunk a submarine. I think that was like uh an X-Men 150. Yes, and because and, he had you know killed everyone on board that sub you know and and, and he's he's making as much as M- Magneto doesn't want to admit it they are kind of on the same I guess moral low ground you could say yeah, yeah. pretty
1: much I mean that, and that is the interesting thing it's you know there's so many comics where where they go to the old trope of you know we're more alike than you uh, than you figure or whatever in this instance there is a certain truth to that.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, just I mean, at one point in the past, they were on opposite sides, but now they're they're, you know, they are kind of at the same level. They're at the same level, obviously not on the same team, but they
1: are they are at the same level. They are equally dismissive of people different than them,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and I think dismissive is the kind word for
2: it. Now, now you could say that Magneto's perspective comes from the fact of being persecuted, while the Red Skull has always been the persecutor.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the the skull skull has such a great origin at this point, where he was just a bellhop uh, that that Hitler basically did a I double dog dare you that I could turn this guy into a better Nazi than any of you, and then he just becomes scarier than Hitler.
2: What is this so, trading? This is this is like with with uh, uh, God, I just almost said it. with trading places. Yeah, yeah tra- Ra-
0: trading Ross places. And,
2: and, and so, so we have, Do, uh, we'll have Don Amici as the Red Skull, and uh, <laughs> or would that be Eddie Murphy would be the Red Skull? <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and I, X- I also like that he, he he couldn't be more obscure. You never saw his actual face at that time, mm-hmm. and and his name is the German
2: version of John Smith. John Smith, yeah, Johann Schmidt.
0: Now, so. by this point his face was the red skull thanks to the end of the captain storyline
2: uh, was that in issue 300 when50 350, 350
0: yeah because he had he has the dust of death in his uh, cigarette holder and it blew back in his face but he has the he has the body of Steve Rogers
2: yeah, it's a clone I thought he got that in 400 or is it in 400 that he starts to age when he's fighting Steve Rogers 300 hit was when he died. OK, supposedly,
0: quote unquote, died, because mm-hmm. that was a great storyline that that uh, that kind of closed out J.M. DeMatteis's run of the title uh, where the skull captures him and we
2: have the uh,
0: wow, sisters of sin. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's Oh, that was with the pre uh, that was where his daughter comes from, doesn't yeah. She?
0: Where, you know, and uh, when I was a kid, it was funny, before I was really collecting comics, I had a copy of 298 that I got from the drugstore, and I read that book again and again and again, and all of my, in a rare moment, all of my sisters read it too. To this day, if I bring up comics, my sister Jane will invariably mention that Red Skull comic that I had as a kid. So it's a pretty memorable issue uh, with a great cover, but that whole storyline is just fantastic. Uh, where the Captain America is aged and the skull is an old man who's dying and they they finally have an old man fight uh, which family guy would later, which family guy would later adapt uh, with uh, Herbert the pervert fighting an old Nazi Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: in one episode, which was actually really funny, uh, but no, it was three hundred where he died, and then it turned out that they saved his personality, and, or saved his brain, and they put it in a cloned body of Steve Rogers. Uh, so basically, he has the super soldier serum coursing through his veins. So he's not a pushover for Magneto. He really isn't. He's he's going to be a. Fo- in fact, a couple issues after this, he has a he has a pretty brutal fight with the Kingpin. Uh, uh, that was at the end of the Streets of Poison storyline and that's how they were able to cure Steve Rogers at the end of the Fighting Chance story uh, that closed out Gruenwald's run and at the beginning of the Wade run it's revealed that they did a blood transfusion with the Red Skull Uh, Mm -hmm. so that's how he was
2: able to be young and vital again and now now Cap's back to being old again in the book
0: yeah, I am trying. I haven't read Marvel in like four years, so I am I'm slowly trying to catch up on some stuff. I had re-
1: uh, I read that storyline, and I actually was a little disappointed with that when when he does uh, basically go back to you know he has the uh, serum sucked from him and he becomes old. But the follow up to that, where Sam Wilson becomes Captain America, I read the first four or five issues of that, and that's very good. Mm-hmm. I would recommend reading that.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I kind of walked away from all comics for about 10 months and then started reading The New 52. And after four years, it turns out that I lost a double or nothing bet with God on that. So <laughs> I'm uh, I'm now wanting to kind of go back. Uh, and you, both you and Scott have been really talking up. And, and when we were, when, when when Dr. Bill and I had dinner uh all those months ago, he was telling me that some of the stuff he was reading, like the my, the Uncanny Avengers and all that, was pretty good stuff. So I'm I'm really trying to go back and kind of dig into that. And maybe uh, maybe I'm trading one demon for another, but it just it just seems to me that through whether their decisions are boneheaded or not, Marvel always has a plan. They 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 have a, a direction to go in, and I'll kind of
1: respect that more than making it up as you go along. So.
2: Come on, I, Mike, all the cool kids are read Marvel.
1: I think one of, one of the first conversations that you and I ever had, Mike, uh, I, I made the point of uh, you hit a certain point in your collecting life or your comic book reading life when you realize they're not writing the books for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think that's when you have to give up your attachment to particular characters. you know I I, I was Spider-Man has always been my favorite character. But there have been runs on Spider-Man where I didn't like what they were doing, and I have to be willing at this point in my life to say, okay, these books aren't being written for me. I'm not going to read it. When they get to a storyline that I like or a writer that I like, I'll go back to it and I'll read it then. I don't. I have to. I had to eliminate that uh, that mentality of I need to read every single issue no matter what.
0: Yeah, I dropped. I had that for the longest time and i gotta tell you one of the best things i ever did was was lose that feeling like you know i, I was collecting spider-man there for a while and I, I just have all of spider-man from a certain time period and so i i, I bought like mostly 50 cent fodder I'm, I'm gonna be honest there i didn't pay a whole lot for it but i got to a certain point where i was reading through it where it's like you know i just want to read I, I think with certain characters i just want to read I don't need to read the character's entire publishing history uh, to get what I want out of it, and I found in that on that level, especially with characters like Spider-Man, where I'm like a uh, you know like a run or a particular writer or a storyline or whatever, I read it, I scratch the itch, and I move on, and it, and it's, it's such a better feeling nowadays yeah. than, than, than than feeling I have to have
1: everything. And and that's pretty much the way I am. And and using Spider-Man as an example, I've really enjoyed the Dan Slott. Run on it, the whole uh, Superior Spider Man run, I thought was really good. Then he got into the Spider Verse, and uh, I can't say it's bad because I, I kind of lost interest and I just haven't been reading it lately. Eventually, they'll pull me back in again. I'll start reading it again.
0: <laughs> I've heard nothing good about Spider Verse from several different people whose opinion on Spider Man I trust have all said, from what you just said, that it wasn't all that good, to it's like one of the worst things that's ever happened to humanity. Uh, on the other end of it, so I'm just I'm glad I didn't dive into that particular storyline.
1: But if you're looking to, to dive in, like let's just say you get the uh, the Marvel uh, subscription that we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, that whole run of the Superior Spider-Man, well worth reading, very enjoyable.
0: Yeah, you and you and Andy have both uh, Andy Leyland have really talked that story up to the point where I want to read the whole thing because I came in right at the end and honestly was like, is this Dan Slott? I mean, is this really Dan Slott writing Spider-Man? Because he's great on other characters. He just he gets to that character, and I just lose interest completely. But I thought it was a really interesting take on it, and uh, you know, a status quo change, of course, uh, to bring that argument up again. But it was just, <laughs> but no, it's just you know. Since I've, I've gotten a tablet, I have really gone back to like the earliest days of my collecting where I just want to read comics. It, it, it's not about getting a full run. It's not about finding a near mint ish, copy of a particular issue. It's just I want to read the stories. I want to read about the characters. I don't care about, you know, I cr- care who the creators are as, as insofar as I like certain creators more than other creators. But, it, you know, it's, it doesn't matter to me that Brian Michael Bendis said this in an interview. I just Avengers run just to see what it's really like. And, you know, sometimes it's good and sometimes, you know, it's not. But it's, it's still kind of, it's, it's fun, I guess, is, is what it is. Reading comics is fun again. Uh, and, and I'm really enjoying be, that. if it's not, why are you doing it? <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I just, I, I, I gave the new 52 four years. Um, so it it can't be said that I didn't give it a shot, but it's just like, obviously this universe is not for me anymore. And that depresses the living crap out of me, but I'd rather move on instead of being angry all the time.
1: But see, but that goes to what I'm saying. And I think the point that I'm making is you don't have to move on so much as temporarily put it on hold because yeah, right now, I I don't think DC is putting out a book right now that I feel strongly like that. I want to read. But I know eventually they will, and, I'll, and that's when I'll start picking up you know, whatever it is again. But I'm just not going to waste my money picking up any books that I'm not interested in or that I'm going to read and, and, and think, eh, when it's over. Not for four or five bucks a shot. Yeah, exactly. When they were 25 cents an issue, even, even counting in uh, for inflation and cost of living increases, when they were 25 cents an issue, they were far more worthwhile even if you got the occasional issue that you weren't thrilled with.
0: Yeah, well, even even like back in the '90s when they were a dollar fifty a piece, it was still you know if you weren't really hot on a book, you'd stick with it just because it really wasn't that much of a outlay of money. But now it's just like nah, when they're four, or five, I mean, we're not even see, saying three, four dollars. Now it's four or five dollars, and that's just that's just crazy. It's, it's it's almost worth it to not read anything Marvel for like a year and just wait for it to hit on the Marvel Unlimited app. And uh, basically read everything for ten dollars a month there.
1: Or, or you know, if, if you're into hard copies, wait for it to come out in trade, and mm-hmm. either buy it from uh, from somewhere where you're getting a fifty percent discount, or wait until you're at a convention where they have a fifty percent off booth or something, and then pick them up that way. Mm-hmm. It, it's and, and you can then wait and get a full story, and you can listen to people whose opinions you trust, and pick up you know, pick up runs that you really think you're going to enjoy. So there's something to be said for not buying it off the newsstand. Now, I know that doesn't really support the industry, and the more we don't support it, the more they're going to probably just screw themselves over with <laughs> with so many bad decisions. But, hey, you know what? I don't know that our job is to keep the industry alive at all, at all expenses. They have to put out quality in order for us to do it. Absolutely. So you want to rank this one?
0: Uh, I will give the cover an A+. Plus. I will give the story an A+, plus, and I will give the art an A-. Minus. So, hey, pretty much A all around.
1: I'm going to agree with you on the cover. I'm going to give the story – yeah, I'm going to stick with you on the story too because I just – I love the concept, and I think it's well executed. Uh, so, so, yeah, I'm going to even go go with you on the A+. Plus. I was going to drop it down to an A, but the more I think about it, there's really nothing about the story that I can criticize. So I'm going to say A-plus on that as well. The interior artwork, I'm not as crazy about like I said, the first two pages I don't like uh, and there's a couple of pacing issues to it that I'm just thinking it it, it kind of jumps around a little bit. So for the interior art I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say B and overall I'm gonna give it give the overall book an A still based on the two A, a
2: pluses at the at the top of it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go along with that uh, that the cover the cover is A plus for me. Uh, the story, I know we didn't read the other story, but even the other story is not too too bad, the one with uh, with Cobra and Mr. Hyde, because basically... Cobra I'm, I'm had... going to
1: take it a step from there, and, and you say not
2: too, too bad. I'm going to say it's actually pretty decent for a short story. Yeah, because Cobra kind of outsmarts Mr. Hyde. <laughs> he thinks he's been poisoned, and all he did was just spit on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dummy. Got a it, Big dummy. And then Cobra becomes King Cobra. Cobra. Oh wait, sorry, wrong franchise. Um, But anyway, um, the the story I'm going to give an A as well, and uh, the art, yeah, there's a little bit, little ups and downs. I'm going to give it a B plus. But so overall, the book, the book's an A.
1: Yeah. yeah, So we're pretty much, for the most part, we're all in agreement on it. Awesome. I guess that moves us to our DC. Who's got the DC today? I got the DC. Look at you, bookless
2: Bill with a book. Bookless? Bookless? What did you call, call me last time? Unreliable? Book- no. Bowel Book- movement <laughs> bill? Bowel movement. Bookless? Bowel movement bill. Today you're book-filled. Bowel Book- movement bill. Book-filled. Ooh, ooh. Please don't talk about bowels. I don't know. <laughs> I had to go chase that dog. I got things shaken up. Shake it up. Hoo-hoo. Anyway, I am the DC, and I have in my hot little hands book provided me to buy my buddy, the producer, because he's going to keep his show going. Because I'd still probably be trying to pick out a DC book because my DC (laughs) is not as full as my Marvel. And I said to the, the big P, the producer, I said, please just send me a book, anything. So he sent me Blood of the Demon by John Byrne. So we go from Kieran Gillen to John Byrne. It's
0: almost like we planned it.
2: I know, scary. And this is scary. Scary. And this is a cover date of June 2005. On sale date. Oh wait, does oh does this meet the ten year? Uh, oh, I think we we're falling under the ten year window. But but wait, don't no, we make it cause oh, the on contrary, sale date the on sale date was April 6, 2005. So just the by the, the, June, skin of, the June of
1: 2015 books. We we've just hit the July books come this coming Wednesday that we're L- after we record this. Let Let me ask
0: this though on that does it count now that this reality doesn't exist anymore?
2: Hmm. Good point. <laughs> as far as uh... for publishing purposes, it's gone. Yeah. Hmm. So that means we could do up to what two thousand and what
1: uh, two thousand and eleven. Two thousand eleven. Here's my Here's my position on it. We 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 set the ten year rule. It's a 10-year sliding timescale. <laughs> we said a 10-year sliding timescale. It's a 10-year timeline. But it, but it really was just kind of a, pulling a number out of a hat for how old. I think uh, we can adjust it as needed. I think we should probably try to look for 10 years older, older, older. But if we don't hit the mark,
2: who cares? Well, I know we occasionally break that. I've I've broke that rule with the with the Con book and yeah, Con you did like two months after it came out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that was like the the newest book ever done on Back to the Bins. It, it wasn't even a bin book yet. It's still on the shelf. And then, uh, well, Back and Avengers to the sp- shelf. <laughs> and then, um, Avengers Spotlight doesn't count because it's all things Avengers. So, um, um, but have we done anything relatively recent on Avengers Spotlight? I don't think we have, anyway. Um. Well, we've mentioned some things, but no, I don't. No, not. we well, we'll have to up. mention whatever we yeah. want. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I don't. We did the uh, the one with the dead Avengers. I don't know how. I think that one was still ten years as well. I'm not quite sure. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's all, it Doesn't matter. Back to Blood of the Demon. Back to Blood of the Demon. Cover price two fifty. Wow, two fifty. Ah. Uh, oh, no, I'm not going to get on that again. And we have a lovely cover done by John Byrne, and uh, on the cover we have the demons locked in a struggle with some type of Cthulhu beast or the giant squid from Two Thousand Leagues Underneath the Sea. But uh, either way, it is a it is a lovely John Byrne jam. It's like he's about to be the demons about to be eaten by this giant squid, Cthulhu, whatever the hell it is. And um, <clears throat> our plotter penciler is. The same Mr. Byrne. Scripter is Will Pfeiffer. Inker is Bud LaRosa. Letterist is Rob Lay. Colorist is Alex Billiard. Editor is Joey Cavalieri. Cavalieri? Cavalier. Who cares? His name's his first name's Joey. He's a nice guy. You should meet him sometime. Oh, anyway, title, Hunters. In Gotham City, present day merlin's spell over etrigan has finally been broken and etrigan seems to have completely to have complete control over his own body he attempts to fight an elder god but the god is too powerful and launches the demon through several building floors seemingly killing him nearby jason's blood friends randu and angel Angeli and Angeli angela whatever begin a mystic search for their companion but are not able to find him and fear that the demon has truly been set free. Meanwhile, back at the location where the demon had been pronounced dead, Detective Sandra Kincaid, also a friend of Jason Blood's, and the Gotham City Police arrive. The demon springs to life and attacks the officers. Sandra puts several rounds into him and he spares her her life but breathes fire on the others, seemingly killing them. Randu and Angel, uh, meanwhile, are still searching and begin to sense Etrigan's presence and subsequently Jason's as well. Etrigan, meanwhile, has eluded the police and witnesses a woman being attacked by two thugs. He wants to sit back and watch, but somehow Jason is still trapped inside the demon. He can't control Etrigan, but he can cause him pain. In this way, he forces Etrigan to save the woman. But Etrigan does this in his own way by using great force and brutality, and that is putting it mildly, though, as he bit one guy in the head and ripped his face off. And I don't mean John Travolta, Nicolas Cage style either. Jason then forces Etrigan back to where he battled the Elder God, but it and its followers are gone. Etrigan uses his sense of smell to track them to the docks and attacks them, even though Jason tries to stop him. Back where Etrigan was previously pronounced dead, and the police officers that he had breathed fire on have now seemingly come back to life, and Sandra is confused until Batman steps in and explains that he will figure out what's going on. Why? Because he's the Batman. Back at the docks, Etrigan quickly and brutally kills the demon lackeys and comes to face to face with their leader. He has a woman hostage, and when he sees that Etrigan hesitates, he realizes Jason still has some control and feels that Etrigan is useless to him, as is his hostage, whose neck he callously snaps. He escapes, but as Etrigan chases after, he is stopped by Batman again. Why? Because he's the goddamn Batman. The end. And oh, I just got to say John Byrne. I love John Byrne. His art is fantastic. I'm the just just the opening page. That is one scary picture of the demon. I have not. I have. I haven't read too much of the demon, so I was I was glad that you picked this up, Paul. And this is only a 17 issue series. From the little research I did, I would imagine is this easy to pick up in the bins you guys know? I think this is this is
1: a discount bin fodder. Because this is this is after Byrne kinda lost his
2: Golden Child uh, persona. Well this, well this is about the same time he did some Justice League and the Doom Patrol too, isn't it? Yeah. And and well this is after he did Orion. And he was wasn't he mm-hmm. writing Orion? Or was he wasn't he doing Orion with Walt Simonson? Or am no, I getting that to I think confused? Walt
0: Simonson was doing that himself. He he was Burn had done the New Gods book, and then Simonson I mean, took over is. for him. Okay, and then around this time period, he was doing the Doom Patrol and Blood of the Demon, and he was also penciling Action Comics uh, with Gail Simone writing it. Because this is this is this is in like the year lead up, uh, getting ready for Infinite Crisis uh, oh. when DC was actually. Pretty much firing on all cylinders. Uh, and pro- so, the, the golden age of the DiDio era, I would So say.
2: his Wonder Woman run would have come before this as well, too, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's... That was 1994. Oh, or okay. 1995, excuse me. 95 to about 99 he was on that book.
2: Now, do you guys know by reading this, uh, on the one page where he rips the guy's face off, it looks like the guy, I don't know if it's because the guy's in pain, but it looks like he's saying something. Does this character come back or is this that the guy's just dead or I mean, it, it just seems odd that this guy would fall down on the ground and it looks like he's mumbling something or maybe it's he
0: probably just for the effect of he can't talk because he's because his, his face is gone. <laughs> his face has been ripped completely
2: off. off. Yeah. Oh, with, with, with quite a bit of
1: blood.
0: Yeah. It's one yeah. of the bloodiest burn pages I've ever seen.
2: I mean, because he just does a full it's like he dislocates his jaw like a shark. And just mm-hmm. his jaw just encompasses the guy's face. But you don't see it because the guy's wearing a hood, uh, l- like a sweatshirt. And he just latches onto the face from the side. And then the next panel you see from the back and he's holding onto the guy's shoulders and the demon just tw- rips his head back. And there's just a, f- a, a full stream of blood and gore coming from the man's head all the way to Etrigan's mouth. And then the next page... Etrigan's going smack, smack, gulp, and he's eaten everything. He's just ripped off the guy's face, and the guy's down on the ground, and his his head is not touching the ground, but there's just red entrails and blood pooling on the floor or, or on the street below. I mean, it's pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, I mean, I'm going to be right back. I'm going to go get a Slim Jim.
1: <laughs> 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 wow.
0: Now I, I had read like the first like two or three issues of this run, but quickly lo- I just kind of lost interest. Uh, not I can't even remember why. Uh, maybe I was just being fickle about it. But reading this, uh, it just I, I I I like the demon. And after reading some of Jack Kirby's demon run, which is crazy. It's uh, just like but every
1: Jack Kirby run, <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's it's crazy in that energetic way. Like you, like like the first issue. It uh, the first issue of Demon is like this insane roller coaster ride. And Byrne always had a really good handle on the character, uh, visually at least. And just reading it here, where we have basically Etrigan unleashed, and Jason Blood is only able to take control of him later in the issue, and basically kind of point him. Like a gun, not not so much have control over him. Yeah, uh, it was just it, it's just in, it's just insane and how violent this book is. Um, and I really like how Batman is brought into the story, where you really don't see him until the end of the issue. Like, well, the first time
2: you see him, it's always nice to see the the black cow Batman. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's a burn thing, and yeah. I, God bless him for it because I love going back to his him drawing Batman in Legends back in nineteen eighty
2: six. I mean, later the, he's got the dark blue at the end, you know, the blue black, but in that first the first page that he's on, it's solid black.
0: Yeah, and it's just you just see like at the corner of his face, and then you see like his mouth, and then later in the issue you see the a silhouette on a rooftop, but it's really only until the last page leading to a really good, you know, to-be-continued, essentially, Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, (laughs) Etrigan gets a boot to the face. I mean, (laughs) it's pretty nasty.
2: Now, I noticed, from what I know of the character, is that usually he speaks in rhymes. Now, is it because he's not being controlled or bonded directly to blood that he's not rhyming at this point?
0: I'm trying to figure out when they stopped doing that, because Alan Moore,
2: I think, started
0: that in Swamp Thing. And mm. then when Alan Grant was writing the character, he spoke in rhyme. And that was really up to the 2000s, one of the first times where he wasn't speaking in rhyme. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: yeah, I, I'm not sure on the history of that. He's a character that I'm only somewhat familiar with, even though I have some issues in my collection. Uh, I can't say I've read a lot of it. I, at, at the point that this was coming out, uh, basically if John Byrne did it, I was buying it. But I, I, don't, I think I, I, these, these are some of the issues that I would buy and not necessarily read at that time. Mm. Uh, I don't think this is the best burn, though. I, I have to say I really like the way he draws the demon. That, that splash page, as you said, is awesome. Even the detail, just like the lesions on his tongue and stuff. I mean, the detail is great. But his, uh, his versions of the secondary characters, I think, are somewhat lacking. Uh, this newspaper reporter or detective, whatever he is, uh, I think is clearly supposed to be Carol O'Connor. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I don't even mean that facetiously. I think that's who we mm. used as oh, his yeah. character model. Um, yeah, geez, I gotta go on a story. And, and, and some <laughs> of the other characters, some of the poses, some of the drawings, some of the details, uh, I, I think they're, they're a little bit lacking at some points. So I, I don't think this is burn at his best, but yeah,
0: this this was during a period where it seemed like he was probably doing some light pencil sketches and then finishing in ink and it just doesn't have the the detail work that his more, you know, like his 70s, 80s and even early 90s work would have. I mean, he's there's a lot of stock burn characters in this.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and I mean and it's inconsistent too cuz the splash page has a lot of detail. Then you open it. There's a two-page spread that also has a lot of detail in it, and it's well done. Uh, and then the next page is kind of uh, reminiscent of the Hidden Years, John Byrne. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, yeah. You know, then then it kind of it kind of hits that level. But then by the time we get to the uh, the Carol O'Connor guy, uh, some of the some of the drawings are a little inconsistent and they're not necessarily framed all that well. And you know, they they look almost. Almost like he was mailing it in on a couple of these pages.
0: I get the feeling that around this time period he was doing that a lot. Uh, I know his action comics run he was basically just penciling and collecting the check. And I don't blame him for I remember around that time period him complaining about how Nelson was inking him on that and was he was even throwing up like the original pencils that he would that he did with the compared to the final product. And it's and it just like, well, you, you didn't seem to want to be involved with it too much. And I think I think this is when he started going on the outs with DC as well. Mm. And, and that Doom Patrol book was kind of bad.
1: I only Yeah, the new characters he introduced had nothing going for them. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and then they were quickly killed off once Byrne left the book.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's just, you know, they were introduced in that JLA run. So you had Chris Claremont and John Byrne coming back together. And writing JLA, and it turns out to be a giant backdoor pilot for a Doom Patrol book. Yeah, and it was just like, right. this, this This really... I, I felt lied to, actually. Because I was right. like, wow, what would these two do with a Justice League story? Oh, they would introduce John Byrne's new Doom Patrol. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that is depressing.
2: Now, I've always gotten... Or had a little confusion between the demon and the character that I associate with him over in Marvel would be the gargoyle because they kind of have the same actual color and the same somewhat of a, a motif. in that I think you have a name. What's the guy's name? Isaac Christian, and I think he's that's, bonded. That's, that's correct. He's bonded to an actual gargoyle. He was in like in Salem. Um, and he was there was in the later issues of the Defenders is where I was introduced to him back in the 80s, um, like round one in like the 120s, right up before the end mm-hmm. of of the first series, you know, with Moon Dragon and Iceman and the Beast. Oh, that was uh, a great run. hmm. But that's where I always get I don't want to say I get them confused, but they just c- kind of mesh because they they're kind of the same in that you've got some type of demonic being bonded with a human. So you know they kind of mirror each other a little bit. Yeah, what
1: I always liked about that gargoyle character was that he is he, he, defi- he defied the normal convention because he was a senior citizen who was
2: uh, yes, yeah,
1: who, who was bonded with the, the gargoyle. So he, he, he was very old-fashioned. He, he didn't kind of have the same perspective on things that other people did. And, and I, I like that because it made him
2: somewhat unique. Did he have a thing with Agatha Harkness in somewhere along the line? Not that I know, but that's Can't possible.
1: I, oh, yeah, he did have a miniseries at one point. They could something could have happened in there. I don't. Yeah, know. there
2: was like a four issue. Yeah,
1: I, I, you know, I only remembered him from the Defenders, and back when that was coming out, I was more along the lines of if it's the Defenders, I wanted to be Hulk, Submariner, and Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm.
2: So I wasn't as tolerant of it as I should have been because some of the stories were actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, that's that's kind of where I came into the defenders was like after 100, and then went back and got a lot of the other stuff with the core defenders. So, so yeah, those that, that was kind of my defenders. Of course, now we may have a whole new defenders a few years from now with the whole Netflix thing. Oh, we're clearly we're going to, and I'm,
1: and I'm, I would. Venture a guess that we will see a Defenders comic series that will be featuring the characters from the Netflix runs, which,
0: which is a little disappointing because the idea of putting Beast, Iceman, the Angel, and like a bunch of other you know kind of third tier Marvel characters, and they're the Defenders, is such a great idea, and it was such a fun, it was it was an interesting book. Uh, I remember going through those issues and enjoying them quite a bit.
2: Yeah, because you had Moon Dragon. Ah, the Gargoyle Beast, Son of Satan, yeah. Hellcat. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then there was, oh, there was a few Sid, others. Was, that... was it was it like the Devil
0: Slayer or something like that?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that really cool cover where they're with uh, Nick Fury back in the day. <laughs> you mean David Hasselhoff? No, uh, even <laughs> even further back from that. I mean, more. Uh, it was it was a Howling Commandos cover.
1: Oh, I don't hmm.
0: remember that one.
1: Hmm. Eddie, you got any more uh, any more comments on this one? Uh, no,
2: that's pretty much it. All right. So, uh, how do you rate it? Well, even on, I mean, well, all right. I'll just go with the cover. Starting with the cover, uh, sometimes even you know, even Bad Burn is pretty good. But I'm still not going to give this cover a straight up A. I'm going to give this cover probably a B minus because even though it is pretty cool looking it doesn't even it doesn't have as much detail as the first as the first page of the book i mean the first page of the book is awesome so cover b minus the in interior art yeah, it's up and down it's it's it starts out strong then it kind of fades comes back in a few pages here and there so I, I hate to say this. I would say overall for the for the art, I, I'm gonna give this a C because it's average. Because it's good, it's good, it's eh. So it's it's gonna be in in the middle. The story coming in kind of in the you know, I think you had to have known what happened last issue a little bit maybe. Uh, I did a little research on it. It seemed like it, it um, uh, just to find out somewhat of what was going on. So uh, I'm gonna give the story probably. I mean, it is a little interesting. You don't really know what's going on yet fully with, you know, uh, with blood. I'm going to give the story probably a B. Uh, So that makes, uh, I guess overall the book is going to be probably C plus, B minus overall for me. All right. Mike?
0: Uh, I'm going to give the cover, cover I'm going to give an A minus. I, 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 I... I like it. There's a lot of detail to it. Um, Demon's a little too skinny for my tastes, but that's just me. Interior art. I'm going to give a. I'm going to give a B too, because uh, most of it's like really good. But like you said, Paul, there are certain. The first thing that really distracted me was the the guy on the, what um, whatever page that is, like page four. Yeah, page four. When when you see the dude with the. There was something about Burns' artwork around this time period that he always drew characters like this and it just never looked as good as his older stuff. So uh, I'm gonna give the art a, the, the, the art a B and I'll give I'll give the story a B as well. I was really kind of struggling with that, because it's not that I disliked it, but it's not like it set my world on fire either, but it's not like a C-level story. I mean, there's enough there, there's enough meat on the bone to kind of get you interested, but it's still not, it it just doesn't grab me. I I really don't, I don't have to read the third issue, but at some point I might. So uh, I'll just give this thing a B overall, actually. All
1: right. Um, On the cover, now, the way I see it is, I try to save my A's for covers that I think are iconic, uh, and I don't think this hits that level. Um, but I think it's better than average, and average is a C, so therefore I have to be somewhere in between, and I'm thinking it's it's good, but it's not great. Uh, I'm going B- on the cover. Uh, the interior artwork is very inconsistent. I think he pretty much... Hit it out of the park every time he drew the demon in this book. But every other character, uh, with the exception of Batman, uh, I'm left lacking a little bit. Uh, But the quality is so high with the demon and Batman that it just makes me wonder where I should go with this thing. Uh, And I'm going to say, I'm going to go back to B on it because... Uh, it's still, even on the ones that I don't like, it's still John Byrne, which I always find pleasing to the eye just the same. So I'm going to say it's a B book. You know, top John Byrne is an A, this is a B. Uh, and story-wise, again, I think it's better than average. I think it does have some aspects to it that, that kind of are intriguing and make you want to see more, especially ending it with Batman the way he does. You you're curious to see how that fight's going to play out Is you know, is he going to bite Batman's face off at some point? Uh, what's going to go on. I think I'd feel a little bit better about this book if it was in a day where they could have put a mature reader tag on the cover. Uh, But I'm going to say B on the story as well, so I'm pretty much all around B on this book. And I guess that's it for Blood of the Demon, and we'll move on to our next one. For our independent, I chose Sarge Steele, Private Detective, number four, from July of 1965, which was published by Charlton Comics and had a cover price of 12 cents. Now, Sarge Steel is a detective-slash-spy with a mechanical left hand. He was published by Charlton Comics during the 1960s, and he was done during the time of Charlton's Action Heroes line of superheroes, which was eventually purchased by DC Comics. And uh, he then migrated to the DC Universe. I can't say I've read necessarily any of Sarge Steel's appearances in the DC universe, so I'm I'm kind of coming into this very very cold. Mike, are you familiar with him as a DC character?
0: Uh, he was basically a government agent type character when he would show up. Uh, the the, the one story that I really remember him from is uh, Legends. He showed up and tried to keep uh, Gar Logan, uh, Changeling, and the Flash in place, and they kind of they kind of walked out on him. So, uh, you know he. I'm sure he had other things to do. I'm just not as familiar with what he did. But he was more of a, a secret agent character than what he is here.
1: Yeah, in, in in this book, from what I could pick up from uh, the research I did, uh, it seems like they kind of vacillated between secret agent and private detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they really couldn't make up their mind too much. And you can almost see it in this story where it almost goes like that. He's kind of hired as a private detective, but then he has this kind of this James Bond feel to it. Uh, with some gadgets and things like that. But I might as well do my synopsis before we talk about him too much more.
2: So we have another character that has uh, fancy cufflinks or buttons. On the cover, he's got SS for Sarge Sarge Steel. Or or possibly we have another Nazi. We have another. (laughs) The SS.
1: Perhaps. So the cover of this is by Dick Giordano. And the cover copy tells us right off the bat that this is file number one oh four, an international gang of thieves headed by the most dangerous, beautiful, feline like femme, the Lynx. I didn't know what trouble was until I felt the kiss of the cat. Which is the title of our story. The cover shows So it's like
0: sandpaper?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not the tongue of the cat. Oh. You guys are kissing cats, you're scaring me. So the cover shows Sarge Steel At the foreground and he's reaching into his sports jacket for his shoulder holster and the lynx a vamp-like woman has an ocelot on a leash behind her there's some indistinct soldiers with automatic weapons the script of the story is by joe gill pencils by dick giordano inks by dick giordano and lettering by john d'agostino splash page shows a standoff between sarge and excuse me and the lynx he's got a gun and she has her cat and she tells him that if he shoots her the cat will tear him apart and uh it's it's kind of a standoff based on that but i'm a little confused why he doesn't just shoot the cat and and then then he could shoot her afterwards but whatever we'll just run with it so now we get back to where our story began sarge is in a nightclub where the lynx requests for him to visit her table he declines and quickly dispatches the message bearer But the the page ends with him slow dancing with her. Following that night, he follows up on her and knows that she's into something and deliberately attracting attention to herself. He receives a call from a guy named Harker Bliss, who invites him to be his guest at the Aqueduct Racetrack, which is uh, about 20 minutes from here, near uh, JFK Airport. Uh, He hires Sarge to work security at a party he's throwing that just happens to be for the Lynx. And she shows up at the track at the same time. We cut to the party where Harker is having a jewelry collection on display for the lynx. I I really don't know why, but he's concerned about the safety of the jewelry. And that's pretty much what Sarge is hired to protect at the party. The lynx shows up in a fancy gown, and she has a cat on a leash at that point too, again calling attention to herself. Sarge secretly uses some type of scent on his hand to keep the animal calm and pets it, which surprises her. Cat urine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> everybody near him should be like what the hell is that smell <laughs> but while, while this is going on sarge spots a cat burglar and subdues him but it turns out that that was just a decoy and uh, while the jewels that were on display are actually being stolen sarge suspects that the jewels might be in a plastic bag in the ocelot's stomach but unless he's willing to cut the animal open in front of everybody not much he can do about it so uh that brings us to chapter two the strolling statue chapter opens with the Lynx laying on a couch, playing with the jewels and bragging about what she did. Her next target is a statue called the Dreamer at the World's Fair. At the fair, Sarge makes small talk with Lynx and we see the statue is being guarded by several armed men. But they are quickly subdued by some chemicals put into the air conditioning system. As they make their escape, Sarge bots them and gives chase. He's doing well battling the men, but then the Lynx sicks a black cat on him. Uh, Which is apparently satisfied to just knock him out with with its paw and not maul him. But while he's unconscious, the villains make their escape on a 100 mile per hour hydrofoil cruiser. On, On to part three, death on Cat K. Sarge is given a tip to look for the statue on Cat K, which is off of the coast of Florida. He scuba dives there to avoid being seen. And as he makes his way up the beach, he's attacked by the black cat again, but this time he punches it in the jaw as it leaps towards him, and he makes his way to the island. He uses a judo chop to silently take out a guard, and then several others. He uses something called jump jets to leap over a very tall electrified fence. He makes his way into the building and finds heavy steel doors hidden behind some drapes. Behind them, he finds the statue of the Dreamer. Just then, he's confronted by the lynx and one of her cats. She sicks the cat on him, and he shoots it. He subdues her, and, of course, she kisses him. But he stops her when he realizes that she's reaching for his gun. She's taken away by the authorities, and we find out later that she dove from the boat as she was being taken away into shark-infested waters. Of course, they all assume she's dead and could never have survived that, or could she? We leave off with Sarge starting to tell us about his next exciting story, The Caged Brain. But you'd have to buy issue five of Sarge Steel to know about that one. That's where we end. Um, I thought this was weird. Now, we're talking 1965, so we're firmly into the Silver Age with Marvel and DC at this point. Uh, You know, we haven't hit the Bronze Age yet, so you're not expecting too much of a level of sophistication. It clearly seemed, looks to me like exactly what I read, that it, that they couldn't make them up their mind if they wanted to do a hard-boiled private detective or if they wanted, you know, a James Bond-type character. They do both. So they basically just tried to do both. Uh, and I don't think they really failed. I, I mean, there, there's some entertaining aspects to the story. I'm thinking if I if I had read this story when I was like 10 years old, I think I would have loved it. mm mm-hmm. um, You know, this this points it where the art isn't that sophisticated, but it's it's also a a product of its times in that regard as well, because you know in 1965 even some of the people who would go on to become you know icons in the industry hadn't gone off this type of style very far yet. Right. Uh, It's it's pretty clean in the way it's drawn. I think uh, my biggest criticism of it is that some of the characters are a little stiff how they're drawn. Uh, The backgrounds are somewhat lacking and you don't feel like you have depth to the uh to the artwork it just it, it feels very two dimensional but again i think that's more a a a reflection on the artwork of the time than it is on giordano's style in this particular book so i i feel like there's there's going to almost be a need to rate this based upon 1965 standards as opposed to looking back on it from 2015 yeah but um, you know, i'm curious as to you know what you guys thought of this story?
0: I enjoyed the crap out of this story. Um, it had you know your typical Carlton lettering or Charlton or however you want to say it. I've never really gotten a, a firm answer on how that's supposed to be pronounced, but yeah, uh, that typical kind of like we put this page in a typewriter letter lettering. But uh, <laughs> but it was is, a, that's very true. But it was uh, it's it's a fun like hard boiled detective type story. Like through the entire thing, I was I was hearing the music from that incredible Hulk episode, like "Goodbye Eddie Kane," uh, which was, was kind of like reflective of that noir fifties kind of approach to it. Um, I mean, it, it was just fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, the whole comic was fun. I loved, I, I loved the story. I loved
1: the house ads. I loved the fact that I can. I now know judo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just uh, I didn't mention uh, after the story. There's a. Uh a slight feature, I think it's three or four pages, where Sarge Steel teaches judo to the readers. But remember, don't
0: practice this unless you have approved mats to throw people on. Um, No, it was just... There's a femme fatale, you know, you've got the hard-boiled narration, you know, uh, down these mean streets, you know, know, he walks alone, etc., etc. Now, I just... The artwork was... uh, I have to agree with you. You can't judge it by today's standards because when you compare it to stuff coming around this time, this was actually kind of revolutionary. Like, just in terms of, of Giordano was just just on top of his game at this point. And he must
1: have been relatively young at this point, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, this, this is where he got... You know, this is where he started, you know, before going to work for DC. So, I loved it. I, I also... I really liked the house ad where you got to see like Blue Beetle and Captain Adam and and, and, and the Viking and all that. It was just it, it, it's neat to see books other than DC and Marvel from this time period.
1: So, yeah, it, it, I agree with that. And and what I mentioned before while you were uh, uh, while you were indisposed on the call was it seemed like they were trying to uh, kind of mine the private detective market. The noir market, as well as the James Bond market. Now you got to figure at this point, James Bond was huge. Yes. Uh, and it, it seemed like they couldn't decide which way to go, so they just said, you know what, let's just mash them together and make it all one. Yeah. Uh, you know that's why you have these several locales. I think that's why you have a couple of little gadgets in here, uh, and that's why you have the the femme fatale.
0: Well, you know him being like in the in the scuba gear in the third act or the third chapter. Uh, was very very, very
1: Sean Connery James Bond. Yeah, lovely. Point. So, and it's just <laughs> Mish Money penny. I'll take anal bum covers for two hundred. I, I had 100%. been about to introduce. I had
0: been about to introduce myself when the moon came along, but I don't like to be pushed. <laughs> so, she had a real Betty Page look to her. Oh yeah,
1: I didn't notice uh, that, but yeah,
0: very much like, like a serious uh, Betty Page look to her. So, you know, it's just you. I can't be overly critical of this story because it does everything it sets out to do, you know? It's not trying to be high art. It's not trying to elevate comics to the next next level. And yet, in certain ways, it does. When you compare it to, like, especially DC books that were coming out at this time, this blows it out of the water in terms of page composition. I mean, the introduction of Part 2, the shot of... The links, you know, like or why am I why am I blanking on her name? I was just looking at it. No, she was the links. The links, like sitting there on the couch with the jewels all over her, just that is a beautiful page composition. Like it, it, it's like Giordano was was trying to get the the best of like um, like Gene Colan artwork. I see a little bit of influence of. But also he has the more classic style that is you know the Giordano style. So it's a it's a really interesting book to read. Uh, I'm really glad you uh, you shared this one uh, because I, I would never have read it otherwise. And now I want to read more Sarge Steel. <laughs> I really do. I think it's great. Well,
2: now. Um... Comparing this to—I don't even know if we've—if we put that episode out yet, the one where I did the Charlton Romance book—as that one—that has
1: not been posted yet. yet?
2: If we compare those two books, this was far, far above that book. Absolutely,
1: not even—not
2: and- even in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, it's about the same – well, the Charlton Romance one came a few years later. I think that was a 70s or late late 60s book. I think it was early 70s. I couldn't tell yeah. you for certain, but I think it was early 70s. And it, too, had chapters, but they were individual stories. But they were just written vapidly, just not well. And even the art was – I mean, you said earlier that you know some of the art was two-dimensional, but – but it's still not bad. I mean, there's not a lot of detail in some of the backgrounds, but some of like like where Mike pointed out, where where she's laying on the couch with the jewels. I do like that picture. I mean, that does look pretty cool. And and, there are there, and the and and the following one of just her face in the frame isn't bad either. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, the art isn't bad. No, no.
1: I and I if I gave that impression. When I was talking about the art, then I I didn't express myself completely
2: there. Oh, okay. Uh,
1: But what I was trying to say was that the art reflects effectively the art of that day and age. At that point, this would be similar in many ways to the house style that you would see in Marvel and DC books. Somebody like Gene Colan, whom Mike just mentioned, uh, if you look at his early work on Iron Man, uh, when he was, I don't remember what he used as his uh, as his fake name during that time. I can't remember off the top of my head. But when you look at the first few issues he did, they are nowhere near as well drawn as what he did a year later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, I, I don't think that's because he dramatically improved in his artistic ability. I think it's because he was following a house style initially. And then he was given freedom to go to his own style, which was far superior to Gene Colan doing a house style. Mm. Uh but you, you have to, that's why you have to put it in perspective for this day and age. In 1965, this is very similar to what the house style in, in Marvel and DC would look like. Uh, but I think it, it suffers a little bit because uh, in all likelihood, it, it lost some quality in the fact that Charlton used a much cheaper printing process than the other mm-hmm. companies and used cheaper paper than the other companies. So, then they
0: print them on like the same printing presses that did like cereal boxes
1: and stuff. Yeah, like that? that's what I remember hearing. So, so they didn't have, you know, they they were even for the for that day and age, they were using a less sophisticated system than uh, most. Uh, I'm just just looking for for a quality point of view and one that defies what I said about the two dimensional. If you look at the last panel on chapter one, uh, he. he Shows a kind of a, a cool perspective, looking at a downward angle at the characters, and I think it, it's really well drawn, and, and that does have almost a three-dimensional look to it. Um, but most most of it to me almost does have a two-dimensional look. Uh, the, the scenes at, at the World's Fair, uh, you know, they do have a little bit of that. But again, that's the house style for the day and age. So I'm not saying the artwork is bad by any stretch. Uh, I, in fact, I, I like the artwork quite a bit. But it's just you need to view it through. A different set of eyes you can't compare this to the stuff that's coming out today i don't Uh think
0: it's fair
2: no 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 Um, i'm oh i'm sorry go ahead bill uh before i lose my thought on this the the page where i think it's in chapter is it two after he's gotten into her stronghold he sees the statue of the dreamer the panel layouts kind of change a little bit there's the statue of the dreamer then there's the panel that's it's not a regular square panel it's one where she's holding the cat by the leash, and his head is on the, the right, and the panel kind of goes up a little bit yeah. to show his his word balloon. That's in that, chapter three. Oh, in three, and then in the next the next page, you've got the two panels. Uh, well, you've got the two panels where the cat leaps, and it's the same picture, but they put a panel line right down the middle. That kind of reminds me, I don't want to say it reminds me of Neil Adams, but Neil Adams started to, you know, did things like that to where he would have panels that would, you know, weren't just a regular stock shot. I mean, he didn't, I'm assuming it's Giordano that did that. Yeah, well, you know, we we often
1: give Neil Adams credit for being so innovative with his panel layout and his pages. Uh, I, I guess at this time, this would be about when Neil Adams was drawing Perry Mason comics. Mm -hmm. Um, I doubt and I doubt that he was given the. I've never read any of those, but I doubt he was given the free reign to be quite as creative with them. Uh, So so, you know, maybe maybe we give almost a little too much credit to Neil Adams Mm -hmm. because here
2: it is predating his doing it. It just struck me because usually that's something you don't see like that. That panel line didn't need to be there, but it does kind of. I, I don't know. I I just thought it was different. It's just, you know, because all through most of this, uh, of this whole book, you haven't seen anything like that. And then these last two pages, it kind of shakes up the panel layout a little bit. And I didn't notice, like you said, at the end of chapter one, the view looking down on the characters as compared to just being the straight, flat 2D look from the side, that that was pretty cool.
1: Just to correct myself, did I say uh, Perry Mason? Because
2: I meant Ben Casey. Uh.
0: Yeah, I... I... You said Perry Mason, and for some reason I was
2: thinking Perry Mason,
0: but you're right. It was the
2: the Ben Casey strip. Now, this this is an island off the Florida coast, right? So, yes. obviously, it's not Florida, per se. Uh, yeah, I guess it, it it would be not part of the United States. Is it a British holding? Because why does a Bobby come in with a gun on page Yeah, in
1: fact, I think they even comment about it being a
2: British oh, at some okay. point. okay. All right. I guess I missed that. Because <laughs> I'm like, why is a guy wearing, why is there a Bobby coming in? But, uh, oh, wait, there, there it is. It's the next. Because they couldn't get the rights to James Bond. <laughs> it says that dialect in the Bobby's uniform through me until I realized this island was probably under British mandate. Gee, I guess if I had read the next flipping page, if
1: you read the book,
2: Bill. Sorry, <laughs> I just look at the pictures. Pretty. I didn't think there was going to be a quiz. Well, I was there told was. Be no geography, and I failed. My arch enemy, Ivan Chung.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think. Uh, and I think Mike, you hit on this. I think where this book is uh, reaching its peak is just the fact that it's just fun. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a fun story, and, and it, it and it does encompass the kind of things that you would be looking for in this era, in a James Bond movie or in a The Man from Uncle or something along those lines. Uh, yes. I, I think it hits more on on that field than it does the film noir that it initially starts out looking at. Like, but it, but it, it's just it's it's you know yeah. and it tells a complete story as well.
0: I gotta I-, I gotta say you know for for mixing those genres you know it does fairly well uh, for it not feeling too out of place you know it, it, I think you're right I think it was it was more spy thriller than uh than detective story by the end but still even then it really works out well so I, I you know hats off to them for for managing to to pull that kind of combo feel and it not feel like it's too you know, wrong, I guess is the best way to say that.
1: And then at the World's Fair, they drive the Flintstones' car.
0: Mm -hmm. Was the Thinker copyrighted? Because I thought
1: great works of art were, you know, kind of... Yeah, You would think that would be effectively public domain. But, I mean, clearly this is a, a, a take on the Thinker. Yeah. The Dreamer. He wasn't quite as smart as the Thinker.
2: We could have uh, we could have my 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 picture my my Facebook my uh, Skype picture up there. <laughs> With the crappy. toilet seat on your head.
1: <laughs> <Toilets>. <laughs> or, we could uh, have, or we could have my Skype picture. Oh, it's, pig boy. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, one of the things that I really like about old comics like this are the ads, uh, and this one actually shares like some ads that I found in some old Marvel books, specifically the Ubiwaza. Ad where you can learn the the deadly art of ubiwaza. Uh, dude's wife apparently is now a master of it. So I just I just like ha- I just like ads from this time period because they're crazy. <laughs> the stuff they would
1: sell is just amazing. <laughs> Draw any person one minute. No talent. No lessons.
2: <laughs> no talent. No problem. No money. We have a problem. And uh, we really gotta we gotta track down this
0: John. Guy Donowich, uh from the copy that you uh, provided, uh, he apparently was going to send off for the mini radio on the uh, on the last page, and we see uh, he's from Massachusetts. Apparently, oh, he filled out all his info.
2: Mm. <laughs> now we could steal his uh, go back in time. Trick black soap will make you look like Hitler. <laughs>
0: Onion gum will make you look like an angry baby. Uh, <laughs> This is, uh, oh, jujitsu! Be tough. Master jiu-jitsu and you'll win any fight. This book gives you grips, blocks, etc., and are so effective in counterattack. Free book on how to perform strongman stunts. Also included <laughs> for a dollar.
1: Well, I mean, the book went for what was it, twelve
2: cents? Yeah. So a dollar's a lot. <laughs> oh, you could buy a skinhead wig for only one seventy-five. Of course, that'd take on new meeting later. <laughs> ensure your future with an ICS to high school diploma well that that's that's something i always
1: found kind of a combination of amusing and sad was how how they were pandering to the unemployed and and the high school dropouts are you are you a high school dropout you must be cuz you're reading this comic yeah like that's that's the thought that i get and, and that that makes me feel sad <laughs> poems wanted to be set to music Send one or more of your best poems today for
0: free examination. We are not going to rip it off. We promise. There's two different ads for that. Song ideas. What the hell? Why was the music industry that hard up for its own uh, ideas that it had to to advertise in comic books? Okay, I've seen. Okay, there's four on this page alone. Yeah, I, I... Wow. You
2: you can be an Astro Cadet. From the heart of Spaceland USA, the countdown has begun in America's newest and most exciting team, the Cape Canaveral Space Wing. Be the first in your neighborhood to wear the proud badge of the Astro Cadet. As an Astro Astro Cadet, you will share in the thrills and excitement of man's exploration into space and having your ass beat by your friends. Oh, sorry. I-
0: Actually, no. Pretty much at this point, if you oh, were yeah, in the space race, yeah. it, 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 it,
2: you, would have been, you would have been fitting right in. Well, That's right. I was the one that was laughed at when I had a jacket when I was in grade school. I, I, I had my grandmother sew all the patches of the Apollo astronauts onto a jacket, and everybody made fun of me. Yeah.
0: <sighs> I think during the Apollo 13 tragedy. <laughs> what? What was that? So didn't you wear that to school during the Apollo 13 tragedy?
2: Hey man, I wasn't that old. <laughs> Maybe Paul could have wore it then. No, I think that was uh, it was what it was eighty something. So no, that was that was would have been during the air to the space shuttle was one. Yeah, because we had gone to over to the Cape Canaveral uh, or Cape Can- whatever the hell they call it nowadays, and um, I had got a bunch all the patches from the Apollo missions in my there. She put it on the back of my jacket for me.
0: So, so you wore it to school during the Challenger
2: tragedy. Huh? <laughs> the Challenger. Tra- um, no, it was prior to that too. It was it was when the first. It was not long. It was not not too long after the first shuttle went. Okay. Took off. Yeah. So we're talking. Actually, we're talking like 80, 83, maybe eighty two. Yeah,
0: I'm old. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, well, to be fair,
0: I was in the fourth grade and when the Challenger thing happened. So.
2: Oh yeah, I was in I, I I was in high school. I don't remember what year in high school. What was that? Eighty six. Uh
0: yes, January
2: twenty yes. eighth, nineteen eighty six. Yes, I was in geometry class in eleventh grade. So yeah, yeah. We looked out the window, and because uh, we were on that side of the school, because we were because we're because being in Florida, you know, you could see if. If the skies were clear enough, you could see way, you know, after it got way up there. But we couldn't see anything from our view from where we were at. So, yeah. Well, I, I think that... the
0: lesson here is that you're both a lot older than I am.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was something else I was going to bring up. Well, that's Mike's last episode of Back to the Bins. Yes, it's been nice having you here, Mike. <laughs> I like the shot with the cat, where the cat knocks the guy out. But I, but I pictured that if like if it was actually in a movie, they would have like some fake paws and they would smack him on the head.
0: <laughs> like giant fake paws, yeah, that like giant larger, fake, that yeah. Look
2: larger than the actual cat's paws would look like. Exactly, exactly. And then he would just fall over, you know, like Toontes the driving cat from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> the paws up on the steering wheel. Maybe this is where they got the idea for Toontz's. <laughs> Toontz is the knockout cat. <laughs> he kills that cat with a Luger. Bastard. That's a cat. German gun. We shouldn't trust him now. <laughs> my grandmother had a Luger. Okay, well, my grandfather got the Luger from World War II, but <laughs> my grandmother's packing heat.
0: <laughs> hey, why not? My grandmother had to learn to my grandmother since she was the wife of a of a well by that point Papa John was in the uh, Air Force mm-hmm. uh, but he was a marine in World War II but they uh when they were in Germany when my dad was very young they taught all the wives to shoot so they, <laughs> my grandmother who was not not the biggest of women had to learn to shoot this giant rifle and apparently she was a pretty good shot so <laughs>
2: oh.
0: I guess we got to give our grades.
2: Uh, well, we have to wait for Paul to come back and do that. Maybe he had some dog duty as well.
1: Uh, sorry. If I didn't get the dog
2: outside, I was going to be cleaning a puddle off my bedroom floor. Oh, ah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Now we were just discussing the... Uh, the- the, wow! The ads and, and the Challenger. Yeah, I was just saying, like the five minutes you were gone, we went from the ads to the Challenger tragedy to me wearing Apollo patches on to, my jacket. To uh,
0: you guys being a lot older than me. To this being my last episode because I pointed out that you guys are older than me.
2: So. <laughs> to giant it covered a cat. lot of ground, is what I'm saying. Giant, giant <laughs> fake cat paws knocking the guy out. If it was a live action movie, you know, with a cat and knocks the guy out. And then getting on to my grandmother having a Luger. And
0: then talking about
2: my grandmother having to
0: learn to shoot of an Air Force guy. And they taught all the wives on the base how to shoot in case there was an invasion. Wow.
1: They didn't just hide under the
2: desks, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> No,
0: they taught... No, that's they, they ta-
2: that's all if there's an atomic bomb you hide under the desk.
0: <laughs> they taught these women to straight up shoot somebody if they came through, so...
2: Or if you ever watched The Young Ones, you would paint yourself white to deflect the blast. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I guess we should rate this thing,
1: though. Um, and it's my book, so I go first. Uh, start with the cover. I really like this cover. I think this this the, the color combination and the... Just the, the scene as it's drawn really just catches the eye. I think I think if you were on the newsstand and you were just looking for a book without having any knowledge of what characters or what books were out there, this is one that would, would catch your eye and you'd probably pick it up. Uh, on the other hand, it's not iconic, which is what my criteria is for an A. So I'm going to give it a B plus. The interior art, again, rating it for the... Time trying to you know allow for the conventions and the styles of the time I think it really successfully kind of pulls it all off uh, it's not spectacular uh, but it's, it's taking you know you gotta keep in mind also it's taking a street level character effectively there's no superhero in here despite the spy gadgets uh, and, it, and it, it tells it in a, in a fairly interesting and, and dramatic way so uh, I'm gonna go same B plus on the uh, interior art and tells a complete story, it kind of changes, you know, jumps from location to location. There is, uh, there are points where it's a little, moves along a little too quickly, uh, but it is all self-contained and it kind of, you know, just keeps you interested throughout and it's just kind of fun. So uh, I'm going to go same thing. So right down the line, B plus for, for every uh, aspect of the book as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to agree with that, actually. Um, in, in all honesty, I I'm kind of like... Kind of like Paul, I like to judge things how they compare to what else was going on around this time period rather than comparing it to today. And, and really, if, with this being 1965, this was really kind of the, the rope that bridged Marvel to DC in many ways. Because uh, the, the, the character designs and everything were very DC, but the layouts and the writing were very Marvel. It's kind of a weird combination there. The cover... Uh man, if it wasn't for the printing error, this cover would be an A plus for me. It really w- would be. I wonder if that's fair, but the fact that her lips are floating above her lips uh, <laughs> looks a little funny. But but Sarge Steele looks awesome. I mean, the detail on his hand and the the you know reaching for the gun and the. The cat and the little card at the bottom, where this guy apparently, when he writes down uh, his mission files, he has a, a picture of himself that he draws on it every <laughs> time. Uh, which I admire the dedication. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give. Or is the, it just ego? I'm gonna give the cover a B plus. I'm gonna give the story a B plus uh, because it hits a lot of it hits a lot of different beats. But like I said, it doesn't feel like out of place, like the fact that we start off, you know, with the the kind of the private eye feel, and then he's like, you know, James Bond at the end, it really, it doesn't matter to me, because it was such a fun book, and the interior art, uh, you know, I I can't judge it too harshly, because again, the printing was kind of a little more primitive than what was standard going on, but you know, the page layouts and everything, to me, are just so dynamic, especially for 1965, so it's, it's a B plus right across
2: the board. Well, I think anybody that on, on on the cover can have not only cufflinks that have your name SS. I think his tie tack is an SS, and I would probably guess that his belt buckle might have an SS on there too. But his his fancy file cards kind of getting in the way, so I'm it's thinking kinda... it's a
1: Beatles belt buckle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, and I just noticed the smoking gun at top of the A in his name, Sarge Steel. Did you guys see that the Luger with the smoke yeah, coming out yeah, of it? Yeah. I mean. This cover is pretty cool, and uh, you know what? I think I, I'm 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 so tempted to give it an A, just because I don't know I I don't really have the same cover conventions that you do, Paul, with with having to be uh, iconic. But I well I guess like with Mike with the printing errors, I'm just gonna have to really give this like the highest B plus B B B plus plus for the cover. Uh, the interior art, like we said, it's you know for for the era. 've I've got to go with a B a B plus as well and the story is fun and you get a lot of story for this book man for 12 cents there's a lot of stuff going on here and a lot of good ads <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna give the story a B plus as well so it's a B plus all around cool so this this, this I would suspect
1: this is the first book that ever got nine b pluses
2: <laughs> and it'll probably get a Scott Gardner seal of recommendation in that oh you guys did sergeant steel Sarge steel oh man you did sergeant steel and blood of the demon without me <laughs>
1: <laughs> Now, no on on the other hand i think he truly will be said that we did the captain america issue without yeah and and i can't blame him cuz that's that's just a you know that's a to me that that's a, a book of consequence mm-hmm so, you know, these other ones were fun, they're entertaining, they're fine, but that was one, you know, that, that's more significant. So I could understand why he'd be disappointed to miss out on that. Anyways, it's been so fun
0: we gonna,
2: to use guys. We're going to cover some meme out. No, I'm just kidding.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, late.
0: Yeah, it, it is getting late. Did you guys see who died this weekend? Uh, Yeoman Rand. Oh,
1: did yeah. she?
2: Yeah, and um, Nigel Terry, who was uh, King Arthur in the Excalibur. Yes. 881. 8, 8,
1: Yeoman Rand, uh, what's uh, she was eighty five. Like she she Jesus. had a she had like a, a you know it was like a sad story with her like when she left the series and everything.
2: Yeah,
1: and yeah, she was like attacked by somebody, you know, just whatever sexually assaulted. I believe would be actually the correct term. Yeah, and she was like she was in Star Trek the Motion Picture, but she really wasn't around for the rest of them, was she? She uh, she, was in she had a, a Star quick Trek. cameo in Star Trek Three. Okay, three. Yeah, when. when uh, oh, yeah. Well, when she when was the also. Damaged Enterprises were entering that's space. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. She's standing right. there and, like, gasping, looking at it. Well, she was also in six. Was She was on Sulu's ship. But that's. I don't think she was actually in six. I think that's the flashback that's. Uh, no, I oh,
2: no, she, no. Tuvac
1: wasn't in six, but he was in the flashback.
2: Right. he Yeah, but, but, but she, she was. On. You're right.
0: You're right. Yeah. And, and Tuvac me... was in Generations, wasn't he? Um, wasn't he on the Enterprise B? I don't think he was Tuvac, though. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. It uh, was the same actor. I'm just. I'm thinking the same actor. I'm not thinking. Yeah, Tim it. Russ. Yes. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. He he was in the flashback one on Voyager on Sulu's ship. Uh, but yeah, I think he was on Enterprise B. I think. Oh, well, this uh, says flashback
0: Pacific. one. Well, see, I didn't watch Voyager. So there
2: there was a. Uh, there was a there was a episode of Voyager um, where there was this life form that was would jump from person to person and the way it did it it all it always had like this certain recurring dream and but it I don't know, and it jumped into into Chewbac, and then but they did uh, what did they? Janeway went into the flashback with him and it was all on the bridge and it had Sulu there and yeah he was actually talking to I don't know. It's it's been a long time. Was it actually George Takei? Yes, yes, yeah. And, oh, okay. and it was basically everybody that was in Star Trek Six. Although I don't know if Grace Lee Whitney was in that, but I it think was like she the, was. I, I I don't remember. I know the guy. It's been a that, long time since I saw it as well. I I know most of the people that were on the bridge in that movie were in that episode. Like they they got a lot of the actors and, and a- actresses uh, to reprise their roles. But that's been a long time since I've seen that. Maybe if uh, Luke Jack, me and Luke Jack, and any of We've mumbled a little bit about covering Voyager because it seems like nobody else wants to.
0: I remember that thing launching, though. Jesus. That was huge. And, like, two weeks later, I went to my one and only Star Trek convention. Like, straight-up Star Trek convention. Uh, and Garrett Wang and, and uh, what's his name? The the Cook. Phillips? Neelix. Yeah, Neelix was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethan Phillips. Ethan Phillips. And they were entertaining as hell. Uh, Because it was like it was literally like three weeks after the show launched, Mm. uh, they were at this convention, and I'll never forget. Though I went with my girlfriend and our little brother, and we were driving into the parking lot of this convention center, and there were a shitload of pickup trucks with gun racks. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I, you know, I go, I'm not versed in Trek fandom, but they always struck me as peace loving people. You know what's going on here? And I walked.
1: These were the fans of the Klingon culture.
0: Yeah. I walk into the convention center, and there's an upstairs and a downstairs, and there's a hastily written sign that says, Gun Show Upstairs and
1: Downstairs.
0: (laughs) So uh, not a whole lot of crossover there, just to tell you. Um, But yeah, it was really funny. Garrett Wang had like this huge stand-up routine before he started taking questions. Where he was just telling stories and stuff. Uh, Ethan Phillips got up. He went, "Hey everybody, uh, my name's Ethan Phillips. This is my second Star Trek convention. Any questions?" And he spent his entire time on stage taking questions. It was. Re- I don't know if he just didn't have anything to say or he just thought that that's what he was there to do. It was really interesting. <laughs> uh, though I did learn at that um, at that convention, somebody asked him about being in the movie Lean On Me. Uh, and he said he actually got to know Robert Guillaume better on the set of Lean on Me than in the entire time they were on Benson together.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. I always found it amusing that uh, that Neelix and Odo were both on yeah. Benson.
0: <laughs> well, Renee, whatever his last name is that I can't pronounce.
1: I just say uh, Aubenjoye, but I don't know if that's Aubenjoye.
0: He I thought was, it was in everything. He was like in freaking everything.
1: And my favorite thing is he was the voice of Peter Parker. When? On on a record. On a record. Oh. On the rock was it Rock comic.
0: Reflections? or? No, it wasn't Rock Reflection. It was the, the rock comic that has the, King the King greatest King. theme song for Spider-Man
1: ever. Is it Crawl yeah. Like a Spider? Walk it's-, it's
0: Crawl Like a Spider, Walk Like a Man. <laughs> <laughs> Last. Spider-Man must die.
3: Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week.
1: Hello? Doctor? Be me? You sound very low right now. Um Is that any better? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I can I mean I can hear the uh... I can hear the laundromat you're running out of your, be- out of your garage, but it's not
2: horrible. <laughs> the Chinese laundry? That's a Quinjet. <laughs> I'm tuning up the Quinjet behind
1: you. So, so circumstances required that I saw the Avengers twice because...
2: Oh, poor baby.
1: Yeah. My, my, my son got a job, and he had to work Friday night when the rest of us all went. So I promised him I would, uh, I would see it a second time for his benefit. And uh, I think I saw it too soon. I think seeing it Friday and then seeing it again on Sunday is too fast. I think I needed a week or two in between because I just didn't enjoy it as much as I should have for the second time.
0: I, uh, I Rachel and I recorded for about two hours today. I thought it was going to just be, yeah, we'll talk for about 45 minutes to an hour and that'll be it. Uh, forgetting for a moment that my wife overthinks everything. And that's a good thing. I'm not complaining. But,
2: what were you guys recording?
0: Uh, we were just talking about Age of Ultron. I recorded it with my iPhone and after... After turning it into a wave and using a levelator and then removing the background noise, you really can't tell that I recorded it with my iPhone.
1: Cool. <laughs> so, um, anytime you use the levelator, <laughs> <laughs> the levelator. You gotta expect oh. quality then.
0: So, since I have you both here, uh, I want to say how much I am absolutely loving Avenger Spotlight. Uh, yeah, I've
1: I've seen your very complimentary posts on Facebook, and I thank you for that.
0: So it's it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. I I am familiar with Avengers, but when I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm like I uh, I know nothing compared to these guys. So it's 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 a very informative, uh, a f- informative and entertaining listen. Very mu- very much enjoying. Uh, I, I actually, <laughs> you guys kept me sane. Uh, I had to take the garbage off Saturday yesterday. And, uh, for some reason there was a line, like I had to wait in line for like 30 minutes at the dump sitting in my, in my father-in-law's truck that does not have air conditioning, uh, nor does it have power steering and it's a stick shift. So, uh, just listening to you guys, uh,
2: and it only gets AM stations, right? I was gonna say, does it have a radio? <laughs> uh yeah,
0: but it barely works. So thank God I had my iPhone and the uh, the Ultron slash Vision episode of the that you guys released. Now that I've seen the movie, I can listen to the other thing you guys
1: did too. So, which uh, if only for a matter of timing, you you would have been on it.
0: Yeah, I, I I literally what happened is is I you know the trailer started, and I turned the sound off on my phone and put it in my pocket, and I immediately felt like three. <laughs> oh, it's okay, I just scared my dog. Um, <laughs> I just felt it, and I was just like, ah, yeah, well, I don't want to check it because the lights just turned down, and I want to beat the crap out of anybody that turns on their phone in the middle of a movie. So, even though it was just a trailer, so I. Uh, <laughs> After the credits started rolling, I took out my phone. Hey, we're talking about. It. I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> God,
1: that's a bad timing. We're, we're hardly hearing from Doctor Bill. Something is wrong, Doctor. But t-
2: talk to us. What's going on? I had to get the uh, the quinjet fixed. Uh, it's done. Right. And I'm uh, I'm eating a pop tart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. I know which which uh, LMD which Bill LMD quotes going at the end of the episode now.
2: Damn. <laughs> uh,
1: what do you think of uh, Bill's? Uh, what you call it? Uh, Ultron Imitation.
0: Uh,
1: Ultron Brown. You mean the James Ultron. Brown one? Was that what it was? Hey. Wow. Actually, Bill, you blew that one. You should have said,
0: Hey! <laughs> that was funny. I, uh, I appreciate all of Bill's attempts at uh, no wait, that was that sounded mean. Thanks,
1: I thanks. I heard that. At <laughs> you <know what>? sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we laugh with him. Sometimes we laugh at him. <laughs> but, do we, but he's always good for a laugh. Mm-hmm. Hey,
0: this 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 man and I ate some of the best uh, Ch- uh, Ch- Ch- Chinese Cajun food. Chinese out. Cajun food you'll ever have. Oh my um, god! It was actually
1: really. <laughs> I'm thinking there's not going to be a lot of Chinese Cajun food to compare it to, but okay. Uh, just to, by the I way, Bill, uh, we have a, a new addition to our Eternal
2: Con roster. Uh oh, Ron Sadowski. Ooh, what? Really? Wow. How many were How many people? Now, where are all these people going to meet? Oh. Did you see what I quote? Uh, what I posted to them? Oh yeah, you did. Because you made the joke about the monkey. When I said I because Dave said he was going to be there around twelve, Scott's going to be there at one, and I'm getting in at two. I said they should come find me since we're all coming in on JetBlue, and they need to be throwing rose petals when I get off the plane. Oh yeah. And uh, Scott said, "Well, yeah, I'll be throwing something. You know, keep your poo to yourself."
1: <laughs>
2: and right you said I said,
1: "Very little I find more consistently funny than a capuchin monkey throwing feces." <laughs> Scott, well, I hope you guys have fun. It's too bad you're not uh, not going to make it up here, unless uh, unless somehow we could twist your arm a little bit.
0: Uh, it, it's it's all a matter of not. I won't be able to, unfortunately.
1: I... Right now, the, the roll call is me, Scott, Bill, Dave Weeder uh, Ron Sadowski, possibly uh, Tom Paneris. Possi- uh, who else? Uh, Chris Tyler is coming. We got Gene Hendricks coming. We got Dario Gonzalez, Dave Pascarella, Tim Elliott. I thought Chris Honeywell was going to try to Honeywell out. says he's coming. And I think if Honeywell comes, Scott 2.0 is probably going to come as well.
2: Scott uh, 2.0 didn't know if he was going to go. I think Chris may ride the bus.
1: Oh, okay. And then there's also, uh, he said he's coming, but I will believe it when I see him here, uh, Scott's Uncle Randy. Oh, wow. That, I think it will be very cool if he does That's make it. Because he cracks me up.
2: Are you, are you going to put out some Mountain Dew? Like tomorrow, so
1: I have already purchased <laughs> two liter Mountain Dew for you <laughs> to, to set outside in the sun. And I'll put it out like the Thursday before, and it'll be sitting there waiting for you, ready to
2: explode. So Mike pro- probably really liked the, the whole me just as Superman heating up my Mountain Dew. Yeah, with,
0: with <laughs> I vision. got a big kick out of that. I got a serious <laughs> kick out of that actually. <laughs> I just don't know how. I just don't know how you can drink warm Mountain Dew. I
1: mean, yeah, me neither.
2: As Scott is my witness. But I just it, like the image of you that, like, if it's cold, you make the face like you're oh. disgusted by
1: it.
2: <laughs> because when we when we hopped back in the car from um, Conjure, I'd left the bottle right on the back seat, right in the sun, and then I grab it, and he just, Scott just looks at me, and I just and I just go, ooh, ooh, good. goes like, oh, dude, oh, my, oh, how could you drink that? Oh, it's <laughs> disgusting. Like it's just like coffee. No, it's just not just like coffee. Please. <laughs>
0: No, I can, I can drink coffee hot and cold. I want to, I may be able to drink Mountain Dew at room temperature, but if it's been sitting in the car, one, if it's been sitting in the car, I am now worried that the plastics, uh, the plastic bottle has seeped into it. Now it's a toxic brew. Well,
1: you know, you, you put somebody like in solitary confinement long enough, they'll start, you know, drinking their own urine. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. That's about when I'm drinking that Mountain Dew.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really going to be looking at that urine. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have
1: to make a a real real serious decision before I choose which one I'm having.
2: <laughs> I told you about when I went to uh, one, one of the places that I worked. There was like in a uh, electrical room, and there's a bottle of Dye Mountain Dew on top of the fire panel, and I'm looking at it, going. That's soda or is that urine (laughs) so I take the bottle down tentatively and I open it away from my face and I kind of get my nose close and I'm like oh that's urine okay well at least at least you didn't decide to take a second test (laughs) let's just put this away oh no oh no can I can I ask you why there was a bottle of urine there? well so I guess somebody well I I would imagine there was somebody was working in there and there and when you're in condos and stuff sometimes there are no bathrooms Like, you have to drive out of the whole facility and go find one at a gas station because nobody's going to let you into their condo because, well, you're just scum and you're not a human being. So, I say that as if maybe I have filled a bottle on an occasion. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe I have. Not that particular bottle, but. Well,
0: didn't they at one point uh, sell something in Japan because people were sitting in traffic so
2: long? It's basically like a little small bag of kitty litter. (laughs) <laughs> well, I was once stuck in traffic, and thank God I had a wide mouth uh, Gatorade bottle. <laughs> I at- was
0: about to say where this story is about to take a uh, an ugly oh Gatorade bottle. Okay,
1: <laughs> it beats beats peeing in your pants. That much I can. Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: What doesn't? Oh, uh, <laughs> thanks to getting this tablet, uh, Paul, I can finally uh, comfortably read Marvel the com- Marvel
1: Comics: The Untold Story. Oh yeah, uh, it's a good read. It's, so, it's um, there's not a lot in there that, that's going to make you say, "Oh wow, I never heard that before." But it's still an entertaining read, just the same.
0: Yeah, I just I just don't, I don't like sitting at my screen reading. And like a comic, I can do like if I'm doing. You know, like like I was doing notes and stuff for for this, and I didn't have a problem doing that. But sitting there and reading a whole bo- a whole novel on my computer screen just did not sound like a fun, like a fun time.
2: Yeah, and, no,
1: it's it's much more comfortable reading it on the tablet than it is on the computer. I agree.
2: Yeah, so, well, I'm supposed to get we're supposed to be getting um a iPad from somebody, and I think it's going to end up being mine. So maybe I can start reading stuff on tablets. I might have to get in touch with you guys on.
0: i I'm, I'm telling you right now, it. dude. I'm telling you right now this changed my life. This changed my comic book reading life.
1: Yeah, yeah. me too. Mhm. I just got Hulu. Yay! Hulu I, Plus I is I awesome. Netflix and I, I got Hulu
2: King. Plus. I got I I cut cable. I stopped cable. I, I when you said that, I started thinking about it
1: again because I've thought about it in the past, and I I always forget that I'm a big sports fan, and because of that, I need cable.
2: Yeah, see, I'm I'm not, but I'm working. A, I'm going to put a uh, antenna on the other side of the house and see if I can pull in some some of the local channels, and then if I want to watch a football game, I can watch a football game. Other than that, I don't care about baseball or hockey or anything.
1: Uh, see, I'm, I'm a I'm a big baseball and football fan. Hockey, I like. And then you know, just uh, I, I, I can't get by with just Hulu. I need, I need my, I need, I gotta have it, man.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you right now, Bill. There is a Stephen J. Cannell channel on Hulu Plus.
2: Ooh, really?
0: It's got A Team, The Greatest American Hero, except for the pilot for some reason, which kind of pisses me off. Uh, and if you ever really wanted to sit down and watch all of Renegade, uh, now is your oh,
2: chance with Fernando Lamas. <laughs> so. Hulu has Hulu Plus has channels as well. Mm-hmm.
0: There's oh. a bunch of different. Hmm. It, when you start searching it, now the movie selection sucks. Just let me put that out there right there. Well, they did uh, have
2: frogs, which I am going to be watching to do a podcast with Luke Chat with Mr. Chat Jack, Jack and Eddie and his brother. Shocking! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Luke Jack and Eddie watching a movie called Frogs. I, I just you, how dare you, sir? Is
2: that is that like the, the history of France? No, no, it's the one with Ray Milland and oh. Sam, Sam Elliott from the seventies. In, interesting little Sam
1: Elliott trivia fact: he was, he is married to Catherine Ross. Okay. His okay. first movie ever was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. huh he, he had a very small part in that, in which Catherine Ross had a big part. They'd never met when that was filming.
2: Hmm. <laughs> my, my little, my little Sam Elliott tidbit. That's kind of like my wife. That her and I are in. A couple of pictures from our high school yearbook. We had the same friends, but we never met. But yet years later, we got married. So. Yeah, well, you got to think if you had met back then, you probably never would have gotten married. So, you know, life life is good. Yeah, probably. <laughs> if I know how crazy she was. Uh,
0: oh, oh hi, wow. <laughs> <laughs> she puts a hatchet in the back of your head.
2: <laughs> please, please do. Then I don't have to help rip up the rest of the carpet.
0: Hey look, God. my wife came up and said, You want to go tear up some carpet? I'd be all for that shit. I'm just it telling you
2: right now. It ain't that carpet, buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah? Sounds like fun.
1: Did she just say do you want to tear up some carpet?
0: Yeah, she goes, We could start in the office. <laughs> this is getting this is getting better all the time. I'm
1: not sure she knows what you
2: mean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that word means what you think it does.
0: <laughs> Actually, we are going to have to do that uh, when we do the redo the other end of the house. My old office, which will be my office again someday, um, I have to rip up the, <sighs> the, the 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 carpet that Boo used for her own lavatory purposes. Ah, that sounds
1: nice. Uh, well, yeah. you, know, you know what? Tearing up the carpet is easy. Tearing up the padding is easy. It's taking out the nailers and the staples that's a pain in the ass.
0: Yeah, and then we're gonna have to sand it down and re-stain it, and you know, get the get the buffer out. But in the end, I'm gonna be back in the original digs of uh, the original fortress, uh, which is gonna be nice because it was a, it was a, it's a good sized room, and if everything works out, it will be the first time since two th- 1999 that all of my comics were in one room together. So it's so nice not to have to look for books and dig and dig into long boxes and or short boxes and move stuff. It's
1: just so nice. you know, you, you know, it's it's funny. Lately, I'm um, I'm Professor Allen like in that I'm just trying to buy like 25 cent back issues. Mm-hmm. And and it, I was thinking about it, and when I started buying comic books around 1973, I was buying 25 cent back issues. <laughs> only back then that's what a book cost <laughs> yeah now how oh. books cost 4.99 and or 399 and I'm buying 25 Cent back issues I, I don't know how they can survive selling them at that price
0: I would uh, I would also like to thank you guys for la- last night I was finishing up the first volume of the indestructible Hulk uh, by Just... Wade oh yeah. yeah and he was fighting a tuma, a tuma. <laughs> and, you had and to say- all I kept and all I kept hearing was it's not a
1: tuma. <laughs> It is a tuma. <laughs> so that thanks. was our Professor Allen episode. <laughs> he's always fun. He
0: uh, and he can he tends to steal the show. Yeah, well now,
2: well now he steals the opening of every Avengers Spotlight. Did you hear him in there? Uh, I believe I did. That's uh, <laughs> Avengers Spotlight. <laughs> but did, did
1: you hear uh, and and not for Not to toot my own horn, because that's not what I'm doing, but did you hear the episode that he released yesterday with the discussion of the rise and fall of
2: comics in the 90s? I've downloaded it, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it.
1: The first half of it is the end of the conversation with Alan, uh, Tom Moore, Tom Panarese, or Ed Moore, excuse me, Tom Panarese, and and myself, but then he has a conversation with just Shag after that, because Shag was supposed to be on the show, but couldn't work out the timing. So he did one with, you know, just with him. The interview with Shag is phenomenal. It's great. They He, he hits on some points I never realized about, you know, the comics industry. So mm. I would, I would, well, he has a really recommend.
0: unique perspective on it, you know, managing a comic shop for yeah. like four or five years. So I, uh, he and I are getting together in a couple of weeks. We haven't recorded anything together in about a year. So we'll be, uh,
2: having some fun if you ever get down to Tallahassee you need to go have him take you to uh what the hell was the name of that place Cosmic cat no 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 it was a hot dog place yeah cosmic cat now <laughs> <laughs> I want to say voodoo dog voodoo dogs I think was the name of it it's a it's a uh, I was up there doing oh um uh, uh, up his way working overnight in a hotel and uh he took me over there it's 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 all 80s motif inside of course the girl behind the register was probably wasn't even born in the 80s but i mean there was a velvet robocop painting on the wall so there you go that's all you need to know we uh i uh we got the the wii
0: u for christmas and uh i wasn't planning on it but when i was there they're like do you want to sign up with one as a GameStop. they're like do you want to sign up for the GameStop like uh, credit card and they're like, you know, you get you get all this stuff and you know, the interest rate's not as bad as some other stores. And I'm just like, you know, this'll free up some money for Christmas. So I, I, I rolled the dice and got approved. And you get uh they have their like GameStop points or whatever thing
2: mm-hmm. where you know, yeah, you can get reward points. I got a card. Yeah.
0: So when you sign up for the card and and spend a certain amount, you get like a couple thousand of those points. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was going to get that many. So I'm looking through like the things that you can, you know, and it's kind of like Chuck E. Cheese where, you know, they have the prizes, but they're not all that good. But I ended up getting, they put out a co- like a year or two, a eight bit Batman figure. That's an action figure designed to look like Batman from the Nintendo Batman game. Mm. And he's purple and blue. And not spend real money on, but I'm like, ah, screw it. It's it's actually a really nice figure. That same company put out a really badass RoboCop figure uh, that mm. I saw at a uh, Books a Million the other day. And boy, you wanna you wanna be depressed? Ah, Jesus, looking at the graphic novel section of Books a Million is just depressing nowadays.
2: Why? It, well, because mine it's like it's slammed. It's chock full. Okay, mine used to be, and okay. now they've cut cut it down
0: dramatically. So it's kind of, it made me kind of (laughs) sad.
2: When I say chocked full, everything, instead of a lot of them being flat on the shelf, they're turned so you can see the spine, but it's all, it may have been condensed. And I mean, they, they, they might have had where, where they had four shelves before. I think they only have two, but they're all turned on the side. And now it's like you can't even find anything. You just have to, you know, get to sit there and turn your head at that. 90 degree angle and walk sideways like you're Dustin Hoffman from Rain Man <laughs> trying to walk down the aisle.
0: Try, trying to find the graphic novels. Definitely. <laughs> definitely trying to find the graphic novels.
2: Definitely Daredevil. Gotta be Daredevil.
0: daredevil. Gotta be Daredevil. So. Yeah. Man without fear.
2: No, there's an and The Daredevil! Uh! <laughs> e comes after D. Ah! You have to <laughs> put them all in alphabetical order.
0: Yeah. Does he work here? No, he just has autism. <laughs> Don't you think you should stop him? No, he's the best employee I don't have. <laughs>
2: you so, know, it's funny. I was actually at the dump Saturday as well because I had— You were down in the dumps? No, no, I was at the dump after oh. I got home from work. Remember when I talked to you guys in the morning before I went to work because I would worked Saturday, which sucked, which I thought I was going to be back in time for, for free comic book day, but I was not, so I missed out completely on free comic book day? Because by the time I got back, I had to take all the carpet that had got ripped up to the dump. So we threw it in the back of the Durango, which the hey, driver's side... To Beverly. That's hey, right. That is. So my driver's side window does not go down because it broke. So I have it held up with a bungee cord. It's a whole extravagant Rube Goldberg setup as to how I keep this window up. But the problem is, is when you're in an enclosed space with a uh, 30-year-old carpet that the cat, the dog, and people may have vomited on... Um, doesn't smell very nice. No. So I had to roll down all the windows except the one right next to me, and it was like there was a pocket of cat urine smell floating <laughs> around my head while I'm driving. <laughs> I look in the mirror, and I'm just grimacing in the mirror with my eyes squinted half shut. I look like Clint Eastwood driving. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. You're
0: like Clint Eastwood from Gran Torino <laughs> <laughs> at the very beginning of the film. Just pissed off at No. My- oh, God.
2: Yeah, no, Rachel's.
0: Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: No, 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 no. That's it.
0: <laughs> now Rachel's uh, family for years because it's a lot cheaper. I mean, to be fair, I can't. I can't argue with the price. I really can't. But they, um, they don't have garbage. They, they never got garbage service because her dad would always just load it up in the truck and take it down to the dump. And I mean, it's a month's worth of of garbage, but I paid five dollars to get rid of it. So you you know it's a which is better than thirty dollars. The only problem is, is that you have to deal with month-old garbage, loading it into the truck, and uh, whoo! In the summer, that's fun. Yeah. And then there was the the month where I didn't know it until it was too late, but a wasp had a, a bunch of wasps were hiding up underneath one of the garbage cans. Well, you had some white
2: <laughs> Anglo-Saxon Protestants hanging around.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were they were they were sitting there drinking Starbucks and and talking about how much money they were making off of the <laughs> poor. Um, but now they they all came out. One stung me on the nose.
2: Wait a minute, on the what? You broke up? Did, did on the did, nose? Oh, I thought you said nipples. No, no, <laughs> no, like, no. Wow, that's gonna hurt. <laughs> I guess nose would hurt is just as bad. It, it's it
3: did not hurt so
0: much as my <laughs> eyes started watering like I was crying. <laughs> it's just like, like you probably were crying.
2: <laughs> I probably oh my nose, son of a. But bird.
0: uh. And then the next day, I look at it, and it looks like this. It didn't swell. Thankfully, I'm not allergic to them. So um, you
2: weren't Jimmy Durani.
0: <laughs> that would have been funny, though. Thank um, you, Mrs. Bailey, wherever you are. <laughs> but uh, it was just like this giant red dot on my nose. <laughs>
2: oh, hello, thank you. Welcome to the Bailey residence. I am Michael Bailey. <laughs> thank you for coming. This is my comic collection. Stay away from the wasp. Very, very bad. <sighs> I'm you know waving my people. finger, but you can't see it. Oh, sorry, I was eating a (laughs) Pop-Tart.